we have over 1,300 documented cancer victims right now just in a one-mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you, it's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hey, May 15th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I have a fantastic show planned today, a lot to talk about, a lot of different topics to get into, a few different topics that we've covered pretty extensively that we have a few things to add on to. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a contentious show, I'll tell you that right now. We're going to start off with Somebody put a topic in front of me either today or yesterday, whenever they sent it to me, in regard to an article we've all seen before, or at least I believe most people have seen before. I've even talked about this exact topic before, and this is an article that's entitled The Toxic Leg, the U.S. Government's Toxic, or actually make sure that's how I framed it, The Toxic Legacy of the War in Iraq. And this is about the birth defects and, and what's really behind that and what this really means in the bigger picture and well, as the reason somebody actually reached out to me, and I'll give them a shout out in the show, is a, is a dioxin overlap, which is not surprising because the burn pits and, and the different things that have happened, well, it just makes sense when you think about what we now know about dioxins and the risk there and the fact that they've known about this the entire time, which also speaks to the fact that they knew that that was a danger where they were doing it elsewhere in the world, including Iraq. But we're going to get into how concerning this really is and, and make it more of a broad point. The overlap with East Palestine, but really what the, the the footprint of the U.S. government around the world and the countries that they claim to have liberated and freed. And even on the surface, you can clearly point out that they're not liberated, but that's still how they pretend this happened with Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and Libya. You know, they're doing great, right? Well, the point is, it's not just about the lack of what they promised. It's about what they did around that. that's barely talked about and how that's very clearly being shown to us right now and other discussions, East Palestine, obviously, but we could talk about a lot of different things that are happening right now. What's going on in Ukraine? You know, and, and a lot of the course, as always, it gets framed as, you know, the bad guy versus the good guy. But of course, the, the real victims are the people of all of it. Russia, the United States, Ukraine, the people there, the, the people that aren't mixed up in the political, just the average people that just don't want any part of this always take the brunt of this. And that is why it's obvious to see or important to point out where this really begins, where who's been driving this into action. And it doesn't mean everybody's, you know, everybody has fault in actions that have been taken throughout this process. And individuals on the ground have clearly taken action on all sides that are unjustified. Yet we have a mountain of evidence on one side that shows that they've do, they've done it, that it's been covered up. And in fact, half the time praised it, talked about it, cherished it, and it just didn't get covered by the corporate media. The problem here is that all of this is continuing. And in the midst of all the political fervor, we can't seem to stand back and see, oh, look, it's happening literally again. Now we're going to talk about the, the Syria aspect in that exact regard. And now how Russia's 
putting out a statement saying, you guys need to leave. Otherwise, this will continue, which we all actually know. In fact, that's even the U.S. policy right now. We won't let this continue. You can't rebuild because Assad, bad guy. Well, wait a minute. Your entire even ridiculous illegal mandate in and of itself is about a, about a ISIS and, and fighting the war on terror from Iraq. But let's just kind of pretend Syria, too. And but now bad guy Assad and oh, and Iran, just it's called mission creep. We all know this. But the reality of what's still going on in that country and the only people truly suffering are the people because of what the U.S. government continues to do and fund and allow. And we'll get into it, not extensively, but we've talked about it before. Important to keep that the broad point I was making there in the beginning. And we're also going to then talk about and transition from those two things into the supposed war on domestic terror and Biden's new initiative to literally train people to spot bad conservatives or, you know, the way it looks to me, but of course the reality of radicals and who's really dangerous, all those right leaning constitution loving people out there. They're super dangerous to our constitution or the country or however you want to frame it today. Of course, the problem is everything they're pointing out are, (laughs) we'll go through it. The, the reality that things that are inherently American and that's not a left or right concept are being attacked just like the constitution itself. We're going to go through how that's building into this war on America and how that's always really been the plan. That includes the Ukraine conversation and Operation or Project Aerodynamic. We're going to talk about the Patriot Front today and what we just saw and how that's all connected, in my opinion. And, of course, the interesting overlap of the transgender conversation that is just and again, the psychological operation around it and the people that have been lost and caught up in it or people that know and don't care. I'm not talking about the entire community. I'm even going to make a big point about that today to show you that there's a real serious problem with violence coming from this from the politicized part of this community, as well as actual problems around the conversation of sexualizing children and how there's a real issue there. But make the point that it does not, in my opinion, represent most or all of that community. But obviously there's a problem. Now, you can disagree with that latter part, but we have to be clear that it's not the same thing, that there are people existing in this that are being you know, that the problem is it's all one or the other the left, right paradigm. That's always how it works. But the int- interesting part is the people that are caught up in that po- the political side of it are radical. I mean, to the furthest, to the exact framing of what they're talking about with conservatives. And we're going to go over the interesting overlap, including a study I just talked about that shows you. Oh, wait a minute. When you look at these radicalized, trans politicized accounts based on scientific or rather artificial intelligence, they deemed them to be more toxic than white nationalists or white supremacists they were looking at. We'll go over it again. You know, of course, science is only science when it says what they like. That's usually how this works today. But we're going to then talk about free speech in general and how you have people in the, in the UK right now being sent to prison for speech. And yes, disgusting, detestable speech, but speech. And this matters. We're also going to talk about the NIH and the new National Cancer Institute head who's now going to be taking over the NIH and why I think that's important. We're going to talk about, again, the the Dr. Seidel, who I guess I've been saying Rydell this entire time, or at least when I, you know, tried to discuss him again and couldn't remember his name. Dr. Seidel, who we've referenced many times in the beginning of all this, talking about how what we're treating is not COVID-19 and how the ventilators are killing people. And we're going to rehash that conversation because breaking news, a new study said what we've all been screaming about the entire time and backing up with real world examples and actual peer reviewed science and evidence. Interesting how these kids keeps happening. Now I'm not mad that it's being pointed at the idea that, Oh, look, it turns out that it was predominantly viral pneumonia. If, if even that, by the way, we're going to get into this topic. 
But you probably have seen this circulating where people are saying, wait, it was mostly pneumonia. I was like, doesn't that sound exactly like 1918 all over? Again? Yeah, there's a lot around that conversation. But I'm not even sure we're talking about pneumonia here. That's not what Dr. Seidel was saying. He's saying this is not pneumonia. What we're treating is something else. Seems more like altitude sickness. We're going to get into what he was talking about and why this is interesting in this new study. But the bigger point is, yeah, guess what? It wasn't COVID-19, even as they try to sidestep into something that still allows the biosecurity state. Guess what? We're being lied to. You guys know this. We're also going to talk about nanotechnology, the injections and how that overlaps, and the end point about how the E-Verify conversation is yet again seemingly tricking Republicans into citing the opposite of what... It goes both ways. That's just what stands out in my mind right now, is that you have the two-party paradigm, where People will have very strong beliefs in a certain issue and then something gets thrown in the mix and they go, wait a minute, now it's the other side. Where suddenly we're going, wait a minute, we want digital surveillance because immigrants are bad or whatever the conversation is. And I'm, I shouldn't be that broad and clumsy because obviously there is some nuance to the conversation and not everybody's making it that ridiculous. But it's interesting how anything can make you suddenly go, oh, those people can't have guns. <laughs> the trans conversation. But wait a minute, we were just dying on the hill that everybody has Second Amendment rights. But wait a minute, now they're crazy and I don't agree. It's easy to see how they play this game against us. And if you're stuck in the two-party paradigm, the wedge issues are designed to make that happen. And we're going to finish with the internet of nano things. That's that. It's It's very interesting. It's a new or actually an old concept about how we're building into the internet of bodies. Right. That's the next step. Internet of things is what we have now. Internet of bodies is what they're openly saying. That's a, ta a, a term they've been using. And then arguably they say that one of the next steps or simultaneously is the Internet of nano things, which includes inside your body. A lot to talk about. Now, I'm going to do my best to go through some of these reasonably quickly so we don't have a four hour show as much as I know a lot of you love that. Some of you don't. So let's get into it. A lot to talk about. I think that some of these things are really, really important, guys. So make sure we clip this up, share it out, get it where it needs to go. All right, let's start with, oops, I always do that when I'm looking through the tabs to give you points. All right, starting here, in fact, thank you to Lavoli for, for sharing this with me and just really just putting this back in front of me. Because again, you know, you guys know how many times I've mentioned the burn pits and mentioned the, the and this is what I, this is the point I keep making. And this is just about a rack here. But when I say, the U.S. military is the biggest polluter on the planet. That's not hyperbole. You can look this up on, on long-term peer-reviewed studies. You can look it up on human rights organizations, except what wins the day is the screamers on Twitter or the, the whatever social media we're talking about. The loudest minority is usually what wins the conversation these days, or at least how it's framed. The point is that it's very easy to see. Now, that doesn't mean China is not equally or also being a huge polluter. Somehow that means it's all binary, everybody. No, that's China. Well, they're both doing it. But the, Iraq, the U.S. military has more of a footprint and presence all around the world where they replicate the same problems in what they do. This is a fact. And just because we pretend or like to pretend that this is in, in the interest of freedom or fighting for, you know, for human rights, it's not really what's happening. And even if it was actually what they were trying to do, it's odd how they almost routinely or routinely ubiquitously don't do that as i always jokingly say well maybe if that's what they're trying to do we just kind of go hey how about you just stop trying you're batting zero you never make it happen so let's just stop you know trying for freedom tripping and causing terrible things you know oops the reality is it's not what they're trying to accomplish so talking about the burn pits what this is is on top of the things and the, the article mentions it on top of the depleted uranium on top of the shock and awe 
endless bombing campaigns over civilian territory. They actually had all sorts of peripheral things that people tend to kind of dismiss like these or at the time, these massive burn pits where they were burning everything from plastic to tires to munitions that caused horrible. And in my opinion, the most predominant issue that's happening in Iraq in regard to the birth defects. This is, in my opinion, this is not coming from or not predominantly coming from the lead and mercury and the munitions and the specifically depleted uranium munition. That's a huge part of it. But these pits, as you will hear, even from the people on the ground that were burning everywhere, and we and now that we understand what dioxins are and what they can do in the long term, thousands of, of mile drift possibility and the decades of potential issues and how they accumulate in your body, bioaccumulate, pass down to your children. There you go. This is probably one of the reasons why they really don't want us thinking about what this is. You know, this is what I was saying in the beginning about East Palestine. It's it almost does just seem like and it doesn't I'm not saying I know this. It there could be all sorts of conspiracies around this. And I think that there are some. But it really could just be that this was just an accident. And they're desperate to not let us see what this can do. But now that I say that out loud, I mean, I just, these are theorizing. It doesn't add up to me with the dumping and how that worked. I'm still convinced there was something on that train that we don't know about. Just my personal opinion based on the way that media covered this and was absent for 10 days and, you know, how that all went down. In any case, back to the point that these burn pits, in part, very clearly did release dioxins. And that's not even debatable. So think about this in the bigger context. So right now we're going to focus just on Iraq and what the U.S. government is doing, not by accident, whether we're talking burn pits or not. But a lot of what happened here is deliberate eco-terrorism. And just general terrorism under the guise of fighting for whatever they're claiming, like the idea that what war nasty things happen. Well, you know, the idea that we always try to scream about that we're better, you know, that we're moral and fighting for the or they are. Well, it doesn't really work when you just fall to the lowest rung and do because they do it, too, which is what our government seems to fall with everything they do these days. Well, look, Russia's going to do we can't do that. We have to do it, too. Well, I thought your whole mantra was that we're better and that they're the bad guys, right? So if you just do the things they do and just say good guy, doesn't really make it much of a difference, does it? Oh, that's right. It's all narrative. Well, 2020, birth defects and the toxic legacy of the war in Iraq. Now it says in Iraq, both defects, birth defects, excuse me, are a visible embodiment of the enduring toxic legacy of war for future generations and the environment. Now, again, one of the bigger points is think about all the other fields of war right now, guys. All this stuff is still happening. And we probably won't even talk about it, if ever, until women are having four generations of birth defects and we go, oh, oh, that's what those things did in Ukraine. Oh, that's what happened over there in Syria we're not talking about. Yeah, this is still going on. And I mean, look, we're going to get into Syria next while they're currently right this moment stealing their oil and they're burning their wheat and stealing that, too, and causing all sorts of terrible things and, you know, burning things because they don't care. They know this is happening and they don't care. A huge report like this, massive conversation, and they still do this. And you're going to hear all sorts of narratives, but we can prove this still happens. But it goes on to say the Fallujah Hospital's birth defects Facebook page where medical staff catalog cases reveals the striking diversity and quantity of congenital anomalies. It's a rough thing to look at, by the way. Babies in Fallujah are born with hydrocephaly, cleft palates, tumors, elongated heads, overgrown limbs, short limbs and malformed ears, noses and spines. It's interesting, the heads and the cephaly discussion which you know we had that weird thing that happened with no which nobody ever proved around microcephaly and zika remember that 
just popped out of nowhere and then vanished. Weird, right? Weird how that worked out. I th- obviously, there's something going on there. I think we're all very attuned to the fact that there, there's a lot of narratives in our past that we're starting to go, hmm, that doesn't really add up anymore, does it? While most of these children do not survive, some live for weeks, months, or years, often in pain with grave disabilities. Now, what I want to be clear about this. This is not some small anomaly. This is a big problem. I mean, the article gets into it. The numbers, it's it's unreal. It's It literally is. I mean, the amount of suffering this will cause with the kind of like, think about the numbers, in fact, overlap it with what they claim is or what they say is meaningful in the context of like a risk from a virus. You know, we're talking 0.1%, 0.2, like a flu conversation, right? Now, just wait till you see the percentage of all births that are being affected with people with this. Children, most don't survive living maybe for weeks or months, maybe years, often in pain and with grave disabilities. And this happens over and over and over for mothers. And I mean that. This, I should just let it speak for itself. Samira Alani, a pediatrician at the Fallujah General Hospital, is among several doctors who started noticing a wide range of uncommon birth defects among the infants delivered after the start of the U.S. occupation in 2003. Now, here's what's really interesting. This starts right after they were in on the ground, not necessarily after. And, and, and it's ubiquitous. But the point I'm going to get to, I'll make more as we go through, is that you can see much, a lot of, most of the evidence shows this is not specific to just where they were bombing, which shows you that it was where they were present, which to me is burn fields and all the other toxic things probably that we don't even know about that they were doing. On top of the fact that there were actual terrorism campaigns, which, by the way, what is war if not terrorism? The idea that we pretend it's only, you know, the good guy side is war, the bad guy side is terrorism. It's just childish. The point is they're acting in aggression to achieve an end that has nothing to do with saving Iraqi people. I mean, on the surface at this point, we knew at least part of this was about oil. So here we are, right? It's very clear. We all lie to ourselves for politics. It's very sad. I think, or I think it's an increasingly diminishing minority of people that do that. I hope we can all begin to realize that because we can really change things if we just realize that we all see what they are. Look past the stupid two-party paradigm, and there you go. Everything can change. But these kids, where was I? The noticing a wide range of uncommon. The doctors at the hospital started uh, started noticing a wide range of uncommon birth defects. Oh yeah, and it started right at two thousand three. Not only were birth defects high in number, they were also new and unusual in kind. Now that's a really big point right there. Before this, you had things that were lead or mercury. We have we've seen that. So why would you start seeing this in such high, extreme, new and unusual numbers of defects? Because something different was going on, right? And, and I, you can clearly prove that the level, the things that they were doing there, it, or, I mean, again, it, it goes through and talks about the idea that before the war and after the war, it was a very different place. And, that what, and the point is, it was different types of effects that were happening. So you can't just pretend that it was only because of the things we've seen before. So again, the idea that there's actual, oh, well, that's kind of what I trailed off on, the idea that there was actual agendas to do things like we saw in Vietnam, right? Asian orange was not to get rid of shrubbery, guys. They don't use 20 times the effect. That was a bioweapon, or rather a chemical weapon, excuse me. That's what Agent Orange was, which, by the way, was quite literally TCDD. That's the worst possible dioxin in existence. Really, the worst possible chemical we even know about. And this is something that they were using 20 times the amount. And they, I mean, this, this ended up getting lots of U.S. soldiers sick too. 
And they also tried to use it to assassinate a Ukrainian president. It's all on the record, guys. It's, you could look this up on Wikipedia. But yet we go fake news. So the point is that they use this stuff in Iraq. Actions like that. And and they and people will speak out about it, but they just dismiss it because, we well, we're not going to listen to an Iraqi. At least that was the kind of narrative at the time. Now it's about whatever Russian bad guy. We're not going to just listen to a Russian because <laughs> all Russians are Putin, right? It says that they told her colleagues that they were among the first to sound the international alarm by publishing reports documenting the high rate of birth defects observed in hospitals in Fallujah and Barsara. Now, that's just where they were focusing on, but it was pretty ubiquitous. We began logging these cases in October 2009. 2009, right? Just think about that. Six, six years of occupation. And that's only then did they start talking about this. And, and here's the craziest part to think about. The U.S. government is still occupying this territory, still doing whatever the hell that they want, as much as they scream otherwise. Twice now, publicly, the parliament has said, you need to get the hell out of this country. And they go, no, but we respect your sovereignty, though, because that means everything, right? Words matter. No, actions matter. Words can matter, but if you don't do them, then it doesn't really matter. 2009, and we have determined that 144 babies are born with a deformity for every 1,000 live births. That's crazy. We believe it has to be related to contamination caused by the fighting in our city. Even now, nearly 10 years later, it is not unique to Fallujah. Hospitals throughout the Anbar government and many other regions of Iraq are recording spiraling increases. So it's only getting worse. It says the country has suffered consecutive decades of war, bombing campaigns, burn pits, sanctions, and other military interventions that only shatter the public infrastructures necessary for health and well-being, but also trigger cascades of environmental degradation. Now, you think that's by accident? Is it just by accident the same accidental suffering happens in every country that the U.S. government goes to war in? No, this is a tactic. You are destroyed. And this is what shock and awe and these... They, they tar it, look, it's just like what's happening in Yemen. Now, now things are shifting, but how long have we ignored that they are targeting water and food infrastructure? They are blockading the port where 90 plus percent of their food come from. They do this because they are targeting the things that keep people alive, not just the government, but people, because that's how war is carried out, at least in the eyes of the U.S. government. Now, I'm not going to say that's different to other governments. But the reality is we're focusing right now on the U.S. government, and it's very clear that they have actively focused on the people. They wage war on the peoples of countries in hopes they will turn on their leaders. That is what sanctions do. In fact, if you look back long enough, you can see their own documentation where that's what they're designed to do. Just like the Department of War is now the Department of Defense. It's Orwellian. They just change it and tell you the opposite. They've suffered, uh, where was it right here, uh, environments that bear the scars of political violence and whose preservation in some form serves as testimony to that violation are called evidentiary ecology. So essentially using the, the environment, the, you know, the, the ecology going forward to make a case. And the point is that, you know, the fur, and I think it says in the article, you know, the further away you get from this, the more impossible it becomes to prove it. And that is exactly the point. What do you think they're doing in East Palestine? Every single day that goes by, it's harder and more difficult to get people to care. It's harder and more difficult to prove that the dioxin or the to vinyl chloride or whatever else we're talking about or the benzene or, or the acrylate or whatever we're going to talk about that, that came from that crash. 
Every single day that goes by, something else happens or something else is, is potentially the contaminant. And that is exactly the point. The government knows this. EPA, the Norfolk Southern, they all know this. Literally day to day to day, people are suffering from vomiting, nausea. They can barely live in their homes. Now they're pleading to be bought out, which is exactly what people are worried about. And nobody's even talking about it in the corporate media. Because they're disgusting. Right? I mean, if you can literally work at a place like that when you just watched what happened and you cared to report about it, and then on a dime, you're pointing at something else, and you're in your mind are going, wait a minute, I know those people are suffering, and you don't say anything about it, you're disgusting by default. You're a bad human being. I don't care if it's for your job or not. Say something about it. Right? If they fire you because you talk about it on Twitter, well, what will that do? It'll show you that they're purposefully hiding the story. Doesn't that matter? Not to anybody that still sits in these positions and doesn't say anything about it. This is why I have so much respect for someone like Alison Morrow, who is doing the right thing, who is who got forced out of her job because she tried to cover what she knew was right. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with her on everything she says or that she has everything. The point is that that's integrity, guys. It doesn't exist for these people. Now, the point, again, Birth defects in Iraq are part of an evidentiary ecology of war brought to political and moral attention through the practices of archiving and documenting. It says when Iraqi scholars and doctors catalog incidents of birth defects and note that their rates exceed that of Hiroshima. So hear that. Now we can have a whole conversation about nuclear technology and people dispute whether it's as dangerous as it says or the idea that maybe at high levels it's dangerous but maybe it's been hid from us that lower can be good for your health there's all sorts of arguments uh, and matt actually just wrote an article about that now I, I don't know where i stand on that there's evidence on all sides of this but at the end of the day we're supposed to think hiroshima is horrific i mean ultimately we know what happened there so even if you think it's only high levels are bad it's still high levels so the point is hiroshima was a nuclear bomb dropped on a town and they're telling you that the incident of birth defects happening in iraq post u.s invasion are higher than hiroshima that I mean that needs to make sense to people that that is your that's your metric right there so if we're supposed to be outraged about hiroshima why can't we go this needs to stop now everything needs to stop if this is what they're currently doing and they still are and there's never even been accountability for it and do you think this only stays in Iraq? Like we talked about the idea of dioxins and the, uh, how far, oh, you got to give me, hold on. This is why I got the new, the good archive or the good highlighter. I just actually closed this page. Hold on, let it open again. Take 20 minutes probably. I was going to show you this. You can get it to pop up. There it is. We talked about this, right? I mean, this is this is an important study. This is from 2000, and you guys, you guys saw this when I covered it. The idea that it's it, that dioxin coming from the United States sources of the United States, so from our pollution that we're creating, and the government and the EPA don't care, don't think you need to know how dangerous this is. Here's the craziest part: is there, there this is a study of people in the Arctic, in in none of it, the Arctic, Arctic Canada. There is not a source of dioxins within 500 kilometers in any direction. Yet they prove in this study that women, Inuit women in these communities, have dangerous levels of dioxins in their breast milk. 
That's how far away this can go from sources in the United States. Now ask yourself this, if it's dangerous for them that far away, what do you think it's doing to you right near the source of the plant around the corner or from Fort Detrick near your house? What do you think is happening? Why do you think we have one in four people dying from cancer, whatever those numbers are today? It's obscene. Now, of course, they'll push back on it from corporate numbers, but the general consensus, sort of like the autism numbers, show you that it's much higher than they're admitting. But even the numbers they admit to, it's disgusting how many people in this country get cancer, and then even more so how many die from cancer. Why do you think that's happening, and why don't we care about it? It's happening either by ignorance, because they don't want you to see that it's something they want to do by default, and they cover it up, or because they don't care or don't know. Oh, shoot, that's right. I knew that was going to happen. Hold on. This is my new guy right there. There we go. Bingo. Come right back. I like this one, but it does kind of slow things down, actually. Got to turn it off. There we go. Okay, sorry for podcast. I'm coming back to it. See, it takes a second to catch up. Well, anyway, the point on this, as that loads was that these things can go very, very far. So if we have this happening in Iraq to the level that we have like multi-generational defects, just think about what this is doing everywhere around that. But see, this is the problem is that these people don't seem to care about what's happening to people in the Middle East, right? What about, you know, countries near them? What about Iran? Oh yeah, do you think they care about spreading dioxins in Iran? Of course not. So back to the point. As it says... Where were we? When Iraqi scholars and doctors catalog the incidents of birth defects, they note that the rates far exceed Hiroshima. Or when they conduct studies to mark where, when, and how a population experiences birth defects, they highlight the connections between militarism and public health, global inequities, and environmental racism, which I'm not sure what they mean by environmental racism exactly. But that's not the point I'm going to focus on. But either way, it's, it's about what's happening abroad. At the behest, you know, things that are happening in your name. Lebanon, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, Syria, such ecologies are not always accidental side effects of military operations, but are instead central components of military strategy. That's important to understand. This is one article, but you can, there's, the evidence is undeniable that this is not some kind of byproduct, right? They're waging war against the country, not just the government, not just the country's military. They're waging war against the country. It's what they've done everywhere. Look at what happened in, in, in Korea. I mean, th- it is one of the hardest things to look up when you realize that they literally carpet bombed that country until they had nothing left. Do you think they differentiated between civilians that were there? Why does that not? Why is that okay for people? Oh, because we were convinced and told that they were the worst villains of, all. oh, they dehumanized them. Right. Exactly like they're doing right now to Russian government. No, no, no. To Russians. Oh, but I thought we were fighting for the people's... Oh, but only when it's after the fact, right? We're fighting to save Iranians. Meanwhile, they're starving them actively. Meanwhile, they're doing everything they can to make their lives harder. They can't get medicines. They can't get... Yeah, but we're fighting for you. <laughs> it's just pathetic. Blah, it says, uh, beyond deliberate spa- uh, spatial and, and social uh, transformations... Oh, wait, it's a, that's a spa- spatial... Spatial, that's how you pronounce that, right? Spaddle. Yeah, spatial, that's what I thought. Spatial and social transformations. Chemical pollution also shapes Iraq's war ecologies. While living and working, and don't forget, white phosphorus, all sorts of other things. 
that, that were actively used by the U.S. government while leading and working with internally displaced farming families from, from Anbar province in 2014 and 2015. That writer witnessed plant crops and even livestock with malformed parts or tumorous growth. Many farmers kept photographs and told stories of destroyed irrigation systems. So that's not by accident. Contaminated water and hyper uh, hyper salinized soil. Right. Th those are that's ecological terrorism. These are actions that are taken to stop them from being able to feed themselves while they're invading the country or stop them from being able to to go forward after that. Because realize right now the U.S. government needs to stay in Iraq. Just like they need to stay in Syria, just like they need to stay in a lot of these places because they use them as launch pads or what's the correct military term, lily pads or whatever they call them. They use these as intermediate. Like if they lost control of Iraq and Syria, they would not they would lose their their land bridge between the, what they're trying to do in the area. Now, I'm not the I'm not the expert on military strategy, but I do understand what they talked about. It's not hard to see. That's why they have places like Altamf and stuff like this we'll talk about, which they maintain and they allow terrorists to act. It's because this is not about freedom. It is about maintaining control over the situation and trying to execute larger agendas that have been underway for decades. You just go, go back to people like Zbigniew big Brzezinski and look up what he's been doing and the act, the discussion about what's going on in Afghanistan and how we were supposed to start in Afghanistan because it was about balkanization and oh, yeah, weird how it all continued, even though we have different narratives now for what they were trying to accomplish. Now, going forward, it says many farmers kept photographs and told stories of destroyed irrigation systems, contaminated water and hypersalinized soil. Many farmers kept photographs and told stories. Oh, excuse me. Uh, infertility, cancers and birth defects prevented them from having and raising healthy children. One, one second. From the president's office in the White House in Washington, D.C., we present an address by the president of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. Okay, so point is, infertility, cancers, and birth defects prevented them from having and raising healthy children. This has gone forward multiple, multiple generations. How, you know what? So we're going back 2003. I mean, just think about that. They describe birth defects as just one consequence of the environmental damage they witnessed in all aspects of their lives. Just one consequence. Many Iraqis I spoke to, he says, to describe, uh, spoke to describe these enduring environmental uh, maladies as intentional. Right. At least to them. Right. Just because they perceive it that way does not necessarily mean that's the case. But realize that they perceive this as an attack on them. They were the people that we were told they were fighting for. Weren't we told that they would resoundingly accept them as saviors and heroes? Well, clearly they don't feel that way. I think we all know that by now. Ahmed, the father of a child who died within a few hours of her birth from fault from multiple birth defects, said, quote, the Americans wanted this. If they didn't, they would have cleaned up their wars. They starved us during the sanctions. Now they are poisoning us. He says, when Ahmad speaks of being poisoned, he refers to both the enduring life of toxic war materials embedded and abandoned in Iraq's landscape and the destruction of the human resources needed to cope with public health crises. So it's important to realize that it's not just it's the bombing. It's the depleted uranium. It's the use of terrible things that we don't even know about. Then it's also the burn pits and the waste and the, and the stuff left behind that have bled into the soil. But then it's also the fact that what they did while they were there destroyed their ability to rebuild that 
or in the moment to help themselves. And then, of course, the problem is that when they struggle, oh, it's because the government sucks. It's because the, the country's bad. No, it's because you put them in a position of absolute desperation, of absolute, I mean, their infrastructure is destroyed. It's, it's what Syrians are struggling through right now, and you won't even let them rebuild out of absolute spite. And because you want to maintain your occupation illegally. But the point is that all of it comes together, and it is absolutely by design. U.S. military intervention heavily damaged Iraqi infrastructure and ecologies that sustained human survival. Right. So how exactly does that pair up with saving the people? Same thing. Again, the main point overall, this is this is happening right now elsewhere in all of the fields of war, most of which you probably don't even know about that are happening. You know, that they continue to bomb Somalia and all different places that are still happening. They're doing the same things, especially during the initial invasion. He continues in 2003, but also later during the occupation, 2004, 2011. Right. So after they were there, they then continued to go on to destroy infrastructure. Adhering to a shock and awe strategy, the United States launched 800 cruise missiles within the first 48 hours of the invasion in March 2003. More than double the number of missiles launched in the entirety of the Gulf War. Now, not only is that wildly expensive and wasteful, but it's also adding, and this is just basic munitions, their own level of pollution, because it has that too. But realize, or ask, why would they need that? Was that necessary, or was that just about sales and money? On top of all the other agendas, but realize the merchants of death made, I mean, trillions probably during the Iraq war. With the oil, you know, oil for, what is it, oil for food, and all these different horrible things that happened under the guise of good stuff, because they're always pretending to be good because they think that's, they know that's what we want, They, they but that's not what they are. But they continued to bombard this place to the point to where it ended up, it desolated the area. Between 2002 and 2005 alone, the U.S. Armed Forces expended 6 billion bullets. Roughly 200,000 to 300,000 bullets per individual killed Iraqi. I mean, think about that for a second. So if you think it makes sense for the U.S. government to expend 300,000 bullets per person they kill, First of all, think about how that even makes sense. Then ask yourself if that's just about being wasteful in order to spend more money or rather to you know, increase costs, or if it's just an example of how completely, I mean, what's the right word for it? You know, the whole idea they have of the, you know, the, the, uh, the cowboys of the American, you know, shooting off their gun. Well, what did that look like? Now, I don't, I don't feel like that's, just, I mean, it's probably both. It's probably knowing that people who are out there want to fire and then giving them the ability to fire at whatever they want at any moment. But it adds up at the end of the day to two to 300,000 bullets per every one killed. It goes on to say this number of shells full of lead and mercury, that's just, you know, for the, we're not talking about the necessarily you depleted uranium. It says does not include larger ordinances or other metal remnants from after 2005 or from previous wars. The Iran-Iraq War, for example, the first Gulf War, the sanctions era, 1991 to 2003. Think of how long these people have been suffering under the thumb of the U.S. government under the guise of doing something good. And the 2003 occupation's instigation of a further decade of, mili of militia warfare. Now, remember, guys, the idea of trying to fight the evil Saddam Hussein was just like the bin Laden conversation. This guy was working for the U.S. government. Supplying chemical weapons in the fight against Iran. And then suddenly the biggest bad guy in the world because he was no longer useful. 
Osama bin Laden was called a warrior of peace by the Washington Post because he worked with the U.S. government in regard to Afghanistan and the Soviet Union and then suddenly was the biggest bad guy. Isn't it weird how the biggest bad guy in history always seems to work with the U.S. government just before that happens? Sort of like these discussions of shootings we talk about, right? There's a reason people start going, wait a minute, why are all these people tied back to the FBI? Because this is what they do. Not all the time. Doesn't mean every single thing we see, but we should ask that question because this is real. The concept, I should say. The most recent military intervention in Iraq was accompanied by unprecedented and wasteful waste abandonment and waste burning. Discarded vehicles, excess weapons, discarded clothing, and much more were all left in Iraq's land, water, and air. Think, what does that remind you of Afghanistan? That's right. Seems like a running theme with these people. Given the onslaught of military toxic dumping in Iraq, from spent bombs to bullets to base making, burn pits and junkyards, all of which happened in Afghanistan, Syria. It's all the same stuff, guys. It is no surprise that widespread cancers and congenital anomalies, along with other major health issues in the civilian population, abound. The medical resources to cope with cancers and birth defects, however, are also impacted by the enduring effects of total war. Gee, that's hard to predict. Of course they are, because they don't have the infrastructure, the hospitals, the necessary, and then, of course, sanctions stop them from getting what they need to continue or make new places. You think that's by accident? The targeting of an entire population and their environment rather than military installations alone. That is the most common thread you will see through every war carried out by the U.S. government. That and complete destruction and destabilization. Hospitals in Fallujah, for example, have been targeted repeatedly by multiple entities, including by the United States in 2008 and by the Iraqi government after they were under the thumb of the U.S. government in 2004 and 2015. Additionally, medical doctors remain in short supply since many were assassinated by militias or displaced by militia threats to their families. By 2008, only 9,000 doctors were living in Iraq. Do you think that's the bad guys? Why exactly would the Iraqi freedom fighters, or whatever you want to call them, like just in the guise against what's, you know, I don't think that's how the, all these people are potentially problematic until, you, you know, the, the point is that in war, it's all bad stuff. People are all doing terrible things. The bottom line is the people pushing back against the reason I said that is because it's not hard to see the illegal occupier here. So anybody pushing back against illegal occupation by default are, as we've talked about from Geneva conventions, they have a legal right to armed rebellion. Okay. Any case, just so people don't jump out of their seats. Oh my God. But the point is that why would they be killing Iraqi doctors? If they're the ones fighting to take back Iraq from the invaders, you see my point, these people, this was an executed plan and we don't, that's not my opinion. You've seen it repeated over and over and over and over around the world. And this is still going on today as, again, they're still currently occupying this country. I can't believe as Americans we think this makes sense or we think this is about peace. I mean, the only thing not happening by the actions of the U.S. government is peace anywhere they are. So, again, as always, why would we let this continue if they repeatedly don't accomplish what they say they're going to accomplish? Because I think at some point, everybody secretly knows or not secretly that this isn't even what they want. Because oftentimes they just basically say that when Trump came out, yeah, oil and stuff. And it tells you toxic legacies, despite specific epidemiological attempts to pin down the causes of birth defects in Iraq. There's not just one. Studies based in Fallujah, and this is where we talk about the sustained the depleted uranium. It's not I think it's more than that. Studies based in Fallujah, which sustained extensive damage during U.S. assaults between 2004 and 2008, show a high rate of congenital malformations. This is what's this. I I, I thought this was a typo. 
15% of every single child born. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't even, that is just unreal. Higher than expected rates of cancer and infant deaths and an anomalous ratio of males to females and children under age of five. In 2010, Chris Bubsby, a British scientist studying the health effects of radiation, released a study that showed a 12-fold increase in childhood cancer in Fallujah since the attacks. 15% of every childbirth is overrun with congenital malformations. But, and, then you, and then we heard earlier that most of those die. And 12 times your risk of cancer just by being in this town. Again, let's not forget why that seems so relevant right now in, uh, you know, not just East Palestine, but what we're what is being done to us, either by accident or by by action. We have over 1300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you. It's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1300 people in a one mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out, all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. I mean, I don't know how we can continue not to see the overlap there, right? And this is not just about, I mean, this literally could just be that they don't care. But something tells me there's more going on, that people are being tested on, right? We talked about this in Georgia, the country, right? And how there, I mean, I think it was, uh, I always have a hard time remembering her exact name, um, Delanya, I believe. The last name is even more difficult, but she did excellent work and has been long before COVID-19, but pointed out the overlap there of, of what people have been screaming about, that they that they we see weird color smoke coming out of the ask yourself why there's a U.S. base, a, a U.S. BSL-4 lab in Georgia or all around the world in other people's countries conducting God knows what. So the point is, they go, look, we get sick all the time. There's weird smoke coming out. And after that, people start throwing up and nobody cares. Everyone goes, oh, Russian misinformation. It's a U.S. study. The point is, it's just painfully clear what's going on. And this is what we're seeing still in Iraq. We need to see this happening. It's not just in, in it's, seemingly it's gone global. It's happening to everybody now. And I think the injections are a very interesting overlap to what we're talking about. Another study found that newborns with birth defects carried a level of lead three times higher and a level of mercury six times higher than average children in Iran, the neighboring country. And it says who, who have traces of lead mercury just slightly higher than in Europe countries, which is, you know, who, th that probably speaks to other previous acts of war. But the point is that, you know, it's, re it's a little bit higher than Europe, but they are six times higher. Now, you can't deny something like that. And then you can prove how this stuff ties directly back to the munitions that were used, as well as everything else we've talked about. Now, it says the in the Iraqi village of, of Hawija. Levels of magnesium and titanium in children with birth defects were nearly double the average of their counterparts in Iran, while alarmingly high levels of ca uh, cad cadmium, which I'm not even familiar with, which I looked up, but I, I pre haven't previously talked about. So right here, we just says the chemical element of atomic number 48 with the silver white metal. I'm not very familiar with it, but I guarantee it ties back to something interesting. High levels of cad cadmium and arsenic were found in samples taken from children with symptoms resembling cerebral palsy. So think about that. We're talking about all these, you know, the autism explosion and, you know, acting like it's just some weird anomaly. Usually you can find something like this. Cerebral palsy is not people aren't going to go, oh, that's probably from the, uh, you know, whatever chemicals are being used in these in, in 
I mean, the point is you don't, people act like this is just someone, something that happens. Oh yeah, they got Alzheimer's. No, that's not something that's normal. And the explosion of that since the discussion and the overuse of things like aluminum in the atmosphere, which we're going to talk about later today, about dimming the sun, like that, like that's something we would all want. It's causing things like this. The explosion of things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all these things have exploded. I mean, you could really clearly peg this to something like the act of 1986 and the indemnity that was given to every vaccination company. Otherwise, they weren't going to give us vaccine. Good. If they're not able to give you a vaccine and be accountable for it, then we don't want them. Quite frankly, I don't want any of them anymore anyway. And that's just because of I always said that where we are right now, it's all that intent. I've always maintained that if what we know about vaccination technology is correct, then of course you could argue that there would be a positive way to use it as long as it's not being forced on everybody but where i'm at is even if that is true which i i'm not i don't know for sure but i would argue that makes sense but even if it is true why would we trust these people right now why would we assume that they don't have negative intent when they just prove that that at the very least they're willing to be quiet when it's obvious something's wrong right so i'm just to think about the overlap and the explosion with that and realize that where we can tie it to is something very obvious Another study found, uh, that was what I just read, it's saying that depleted uranium, and this is what's interesting, is we can prove this too. Depleted uranium is one of the most widely discussed contaminants in relation to birth defects. The WHO released a report in 2003 entitled Potential Potential Impacts of Conflict, on, of Conflict on Human Health in Iraq, which suggested that depleted uranium might be related to reports of increased cancers. God, the typical toothless tiger nonsense. Of course it is. Like, this is as stupid as saying that, like, you should say that it, it, we could, it's obviously connected, but we can't tell to what degree. To pretend like we don't know for sure is just BS. You're talking about depleted uranium, which in and of itself you can prove absolutely can cause the things we're seeing. So when you dump this carpet bomb a country full of depleted uranium, gee, I wonder if that's going to have an effect. This is just kind of the way to make it seem like, like, the point is, what, what happened? It got dismissed. We suggest that it might be related to possible dismissed that's how that's meant to go i think it says international activists accuse the department of defense rather the department of war of negligence for using weapons in iraq that distributes toxic waste where civilians live grow food and draw water yep oops they just tripped over the shoelaces and bombed a bunch of no they aimed at these locations they made this happen and we can see it repeatedly throughout every field of war they're involved in studies of american veterans hit by friendly fire with depleted uranium shrapnel so just the shrapnel have also demonstrated links between uranium and pre, uh, uh, per, uh, perturbations in reproductive hormones, including infertility. Additionally, U.S. bases in Iraq used burn pits to incinerate everything from computers to tires in large air open pits that burn day and night for years. For years. They released, according to this article, high levels of dioxin and innumerable other toxins that are known to cause health problems, from birth defects to neurological issues. And you can prove at the moment they were doing this that they knew, both from military studies as well as general studies from the NIH, from, I mean, even the CNN discussion from 1995, where they're openly going, yeah, this is super dangerous. And then just nobody wants to talk about it anymore. They knew this, guys. The point is, they could have done this in a better way. They could have spent more money to make sure they disposed of this in a different way, but they didn't because they don't care. They made the conscious choice to go, why would we spend more money? We're fighting them. Who cares? But the problem is, on top of that, even though it's disgusting and reprehensible, is it also hurt the people on the ground. People just like this girl here. Oh, give her a little mask. That's going to help her. No. <laughs> you are in danger. 
And these people, as you'll even hear in this article, have carried on to have all sorts of problems. And they just don't care. Now it says, the burn pits are also linked to U.S. veterans' illnesses and sit at the root of campaigns right now for veteran health care. For Iraqis living near burn pits, serious consequences for their long-term and intergenerational health continue to emerge. For example, some Iraqi babies born near uh, Talil Air Base were found to have neurological problems, congenital heart disease, paralyzed or missing limbs, and elevated thorium in their bodies. The closer to the base, the higher the levels. Must just be one of those coincidences, right? How do you misunderstand something like that? The point that I really want to go home with is that they, you to go home with is they knew this was a risk. At the very least, they didn't care that it could be dangerous. Now, how does that, how do you rectify that with fighting for those people that you don't care about getting sick? Now, it says on the body count, over time, bodily harm becomes more difficult to ascribe directly to war, even as the actual harm may increase. Exactly. Almost everyone he met in Iraq identified the high prevalence of birth defects as a post-2003 phenomenon directly related to war. Many women describing having healthy children before 2003 and either many miscarriages or children with severe birth defects later. It was not uncommon for a family to literally line up their children by age so he could look at the visible line of before and after the U.S. invasion. Think about how grotesque that is. How macabre. You're literally going line up children, and then you can see that was 2001, 2002, and then here's 2003 children, and they're all deformed. That's not a joke. It says in his interview with the, with the local person, he learned that many doctors are now advising women with a birth history of multiple birth defects to just stop having children. And what do you know? It all works out for the U.S. agenda in the end. Probably the point. Some of the women I lived and worked with from Anbar province, he says, felt strongly that precluding the possibility of reproduction was evidence of genocidal intentions by the United States. So they see it that way, too. Now, that's their opinion. But it's kind of hard not to see the efforts right now to do similar things on a broad scale. This just seems to have fallen in line. Dina, who experienced several miscarriages, expressed the desire to have her miscarried children actually counted among those who died from war. She says, quote, but of course, she's speaking sarcastically, mimicking an American man's voice. The U.S. does not keep a body count. Right. God, it's hard to even think about, man. So consider this in the long term conversation. Right. About what's going on right now in the Ukraine, what's going on in Syria still. What's going on in any other location that they're actively trying to undermine? Like, look, look at what we knew and proved was happening in Venezuela the first, the second, the third time they tried to overthrow that country, right? It's obvious that they are trying to hurt these places. They're trying in Yemen, right? They're trying to starve them. They're trying to hurt them. They're trying to give them cholera. They are poisoning these people. They're using white phosphorus. You've, we've proven all of this. All sorts of evidence on the ground versus mainstream corporate narrative because intelligence said so. People aren't buying it anymore. And of course, to tie this to Ukraine specifically, we just talked about this. Ukraine, the UK has now even openly defended sending depleted uranium to Ukraine. Like, so not only are they going, yes, we know what this can do. And then even back then, they pretended like it wasn't on purpose. Now they're using it again. Like, how th this is an open act of terrorism. You are doing things that will leave a lasting problem. And guess what? They're probably just going to blame Putin for it. 
I covered this recently. You can watch the show. We overlap this with with Ohio conversation. U.S. sends Ukraine. Oh, and by the way, this wasn't just the U.K. This the U.S. has openly sent you depleted uranium, despite their horrible legacy in Iraq and elsewhere. And so is the U.K. How, I mean, how do you even make sense of that? They don't think you care, or rather, they don't think you can do anything about it. Well, we've also talked about the overlap here in general to think about what's going on in East Palestine right now. Now, th- th- think about the context of how we frame this in regard to, or rather the, the framing of this that we've discussed in regard to you being the focus of their war. Now, I'm starting to think that's always how this has been. The war on terror was really aimed at you, right? It's easy to prove. All the, mar- the resources were turned against you. Now we can see the biosecurity state, and as Whitney coined, that the, the, your body is the new battlefield. But the bigger point to take on this is that, if, it, well, assuming that it wasn't always this way, It's very clear now that you or this country is the focus. Domestic terrorism, the Magistar, the the Vanilla ISIS, all these things are are focused on inside this country. They're now right this moment telling you that white supremacy and domestic terrorism is the threat to this country. I mean, statistically, that's ridiculous. And generally speaking, with everything we know, it's just a complete psychological operation. Now, of course, that there's extremists. There's always racists and all sorts of other people. Are we really going to pretend that the, the the few things they've pushed in front of you and their obvious operations literally creating this in Ukraine and trying to pretend it's happening in this country? That's not to say that it's not in some way, but what they did with the Patriot Front, which we're going to get into, and what they've done with Azov and what they've done with Rise Above Movement, these are literally CIA groups, guys. I've proven this on the show. Not every single person, I can't prove that. But I know as a matter of fact what this is was meant to be used against this country to create an illusion that the Republicans specifically, but it was just about anybody challenging the narrative, were terrorists. We're working with Russia to seed us with Nazism. It's pathetically obvious. So the point here is that you are the focus. Now, I'm not saying that means that East Palestine was specifically something, but it certainly could have been. But just realize that what's happening around the world and how they're all being in the places where the U.S. government, the military is pushed, they're being poisoned. And half the time on purpose, the other time just by negligence or malfeasance or the lack of concern. So now we're watching that play out in the aftermath of East Palestine, where nobody seems to care, where they're just going, well, yeah, we're not even going to test because, well, you know, we that's actually pretty dangerous already. And we don't want you to know that. So we're going to just kind of say, well, it's the same as the background level. Well, that doesn't mean good. That means that we know dioxins are dangerous. We know it's a very dangerous level and we don't want you to see that overall. What is it now? Seven different independent experts, Texas A&M. We have uh, Scott C. Smith. There was the, uh, I mean, I mean I've, I've, Andrew Welton, I believe. There's all sorts of experts there on the ground that have tested this stuff and going, look, there's like seven other dioxins, super dangerous. People have rashes. People are getting tested by their own doctors and being told they've got chemical bronchitis and they're still saying nothing is happening. I swear, if this continues and nothing actually happens, I think maybe I'm wrong. Like if we can't make, people need to make this Look, if everybody sees this happening and nothing actually happens, that either shows us that I'm wrong about the majority or we need to start doing something different. Because if all if we if we have the majority screaming about something and they just do what they want anyway, well, what it really shows you is that they don't care. Well, that we know that or never cared about what you think. That needs to be something recognized by this population and by the rest of the world. Really. 
Like seriously understand how concerning that is as we continue to see this happen. And not just in East Palestine. The, as I've taught of this, the, the Clean Harbors Waste Disposal Scandal, where they are literally shipping this stuff all over the country now to places that sp- seemingly predominantly clean harbor locations that quite literally, as I proved on the show, speaking with them on the phone are not capable of dealing with PFAS or dioxin. Yet they have them in all of this stuff. So explain that for me, which means they are quite literally distributing this stuff around the country. Dioxins, the Ohio cover-up and the overwhelming intentional incompetence malfeasance of the U.S. government. Now, last point, and I was going to, I can play a little part of this, but he kind of takes a long time to say it. The points that Missy Morris here makes, I'm not really familiar with her work, but I like this tweet. It's, It's interesting. Pregnant mothers can't eat more than two cans of tuna per month. There's a lot of these weird things that, that, that I've talked with mothers about, and that's to protect their babies from mercury poisoning, right? Well, the point they make is that, well, you can't have two cans of tuna, except when you take the hepatitis B injection, it's mercury levels equivalent, as they argue, to 250 cans of tuna when you include the, the aluminum and the different stuff in there. Now, you can find a lot of these contradictory concepts that we go, oh, well, so oh, dangerous cans of tuna, but then literally give them things that we either aren't tested alongside each other or have levels of things that are da- more dangerous than the idea of what you weren't supposed to do. Now, what does that either shows you that they don't that they, because these people are stupid, which I don't buy or they don't care or worse yet that they're doing it on purpose. You know, they tell a woman not to have um, not to have. Uh, but two two cans of tuna fish a month. Uh, once every two weeks, they can have a can of tuna fish. So more, no more than uh, two cans a month, and ideally less than one. And the baby is anywhere from one day old to to, um, to two weeks old. The Hep B vaccine, which Hep B is for drug addicts, they don't really need Hep B unless they're IV using drug addicts. There's no chance of getting hepatitis B for a baby, but they put that into the the. They put mercury, and the amount of mercury that's in it is equivalent to 250 cans of tuna fish if you do a straight measure. But if you add it, that it's the Marisol, and you add that they're mixing aluminum with it. Yeah, I mean, it's that it's just kind of ridiculous when you really think about how incompetent and contradictory so much of what we're being told is. All right, you know, we care about this over here, but we're going to pretend the very obvious dioxin problem isn't, doesn't exist. Or we're going to find out that, oh, look, benzene's in all sorts of sunscreens and skin products, even though it's wildly dangerous. Well, how'd that even happen? I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, well, you somebody allowed that. It's all over the place, guys. So thinking this into Syria in a similar conversation, the idea of what the U.S. government is still doing and still occupying and still hurting by design. Thank you to uh, 108A, I'm not familiar with, but it says a joint Russian-Syrian statement has demanded the withdrawal from Russia. Now let's just read it. Oh, and thank you for concerned. I don't know how to pronounce that other name. <laughs> thank you for pointing this out to me. Here is the statement. May 12th, the U.S. withdraw from Syria to allow local population to return to peaceful life. That's a statement put out by the Russian government. The withdrawal of U.S. troops from the occupied Syrian territories would ensure that the population of the region could return to a peaceful life. Now, why wouldn't that be happening, right? Well, their argument is quite literally that they just didn't get what they want. They don't want Assad there. So, we, you know, because that, what they pretend is, well, he's a murderer and he's going to gas children. No, you guys have lost control of that narrative a long time ago, despite the evidence of quite literally proving otherwise with the false flag attacks that were carried out here, just like we've already seen in Ukraine. That's what they do. 
or early, going back to the earlier conversations of Carlo Del Ponte from the from the uh, it was the United Nations speaking on the record, going, no, no, that was the rebels that used the weapons. And they still just say otherwise today. They just lie. Or the stupid idea that he would actually take these kind of actions, knowing it was the only thing the U.S. needed to be able to take action. You know, it's just blindly stupid. The point is that they occupy this territory for control. At the express detriment to the people of this country, the people they pretend they're fighting for. This, this comes both from Russia and Syria, by the way. It says, quote, only the withdrawal of U.S. military and the U.S. military con- uh, contingent and the and, and that's important, by the way, uh, with excuse me, the, the withdrawal of the U.S. military contingent and the transfer of the refugee camps to the control of the Syrian government can ensure respect for human rights and the full return of the population of the territories they are currently occupying to a peaceful life. It's an illegal occupation. No, just because they say otherwise or claim they've got a reason doesn't change that. Now, somebody's going to say, well, we can't just let Russia have it. Who? Nobody has this. It's a Syrian country, and they have their sovereignty. It's an elected government that, yes, was internationally observed and is an actual election. Despite all the lies that we hear about this and all the narratives, the point is that they did have a real election. And, yes, he was elected overwhelmingly by the people. And that was independently observed by all sorts of work countries around the world, which get lied to about it. Now, other, the other point would be that Russia is an ally of Syria and has is pretty much the only reason this is not a completely balkanized state right now, which was the always the design. They, you know, Kurdish, the Kurdish area they were going to cut out and give to the Kurds. And that was the, that was the plan. So Russia has a right to be there. It doesn't matter what you think about them or what you, what narrative they've put in your mind about what Russia is, what Putin is, what they want to do. It legally speaking is an ally of Syria and is allowed to be present. And it's quite easy to show you right now, comparatively, the actions of the U.S. government around the world to the lack of that from Russia. doesn't mean good or bad. It just is an obvious point to make. The U.S. government is stomping around the world, destroying things. Whether or not you think they don't want to or trying to do otherwise, it's not debatable. So to just be like, we can't let Russia, it's not your decision, first of all. All you're doing is give, allowing the sovereignty of this country. If they want to align with Russia, that's their prerogative. That is the government's choice. They're an ally. Like, this is the dumb thing I see all the time with this conversation where it's like, oh, my God, Iran and Russia are getting closer. And it's like, okay, you're aligned with all sorts of horrible people around the world. Allies are out. The governments are allowed to meet and discuss. And the idea is that you just make very benign, normal things bad when uh, they do it. Oh, my God, they're sending weapons into. So, yeah, it's a war. You're you were literally I mean, it's just so funny how very common things Russia's bombing the middle of. OK, it's OK, it's, it's a war. It's terrible, but they're both bombing all the time. So it's weird how when Ukraine fights, it's defending yourselves. And when Russia bombs, it's they're murdering everybody. And it's, it's the same game they play everywhere. The same uh, U, Israeli, UK, US, Bethlehem doctrine nonsense that you're in perpetual state of defense all the time. And everything you do is a defense act, even if you fire first. In, it's called preemptive self-defense. That's how stupid all this is. <clears throat> but it's saying that they just want to return to peaceful life. In addition, it is said that Syrian leadership's efforts to return the population to a peaceful life have been met with very strong opposition from the United States and its allies. Exactly. Who continue to occupy part of Syria's territory, steal their oil, wheat, and support terrorist organizations. Quite literally. None of that is debatable. It's easily provable. I mean, think about how dumb it is to go, oh, moderate rebels, and they get caught in real time where they're not really moderate or rebels at all. 
and they just change their name and go forward and they just get it, make it quiet for a while. And Obama goes away and all this stuff changes. And now they just keep pretending that they never actually supported open terrorism, which is what they do everywhere. That's literally, if not creating it, support openly from Afghanistan. I mean, it's very clear the history is undeniable. So they're supporting groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Hyatt al-Sham and the different groups in Al-Tamf and their Al-Rupan camp, as well as elsewhere. You can see it verifiably in Yemen. The area is literally inside their controlled territory with no access to a border. And yet somehow it never shrinks and it stays the same. And they're able to take action, which means they literally have to work through U.S. controlled territory. It's not hard to understand. They just think you guys can't read maps, I guess, which they're wrong about. He says, quote, this is proved by the comments of the commander of the U.S. Armed Forces. Central Command, uh, General Michael E. Carrilla. He spoke to the foreign media. He was in an interview with Jordanian media. He noted the need for the speedy reparation of the families of militants fighting for the Islamic State. Terrorist organizations who are Syrian Iraqi citizens living in the Al-Haf refugee camp in controlled territory by the United States in the Euphrates region territory under the control of the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces. But those, those, it's the, nothing of the kind. This is a hodgepodge of Kurds and different groups, and a lot of them are just open extremist terrorists, not up for debate. Now, the point here is that he openly spoke on the record and is completely unconcerned with the ins and outs and the needs of the Syrian people, right? The people they still swear they're fighting for. We don't care that they're starving. We don't care that they can't heat their homes. What we care about is making sure these ISIS militants go back to their families. I mean, it's, it's not hard to make sense of. He said this on the record. The Russian and Syrian sides stressed that Kirillo's visit to the camp represented a blatant violation of generally accepted norms of international law. But of course, the U.S. government doesn't care about that. They are the law. The judge dread of the international law, right? This statement demonstrates once again that the occupation of Syrian territory by the U.S. and its allied militias under the pretext of fighting terrorism actually only contributes to the growing security threats of the entire Middle East. Look, I, they don't only contribute. They are quite literally making that the reality. That is something you can, again, tie back to Brzezinski and the conversations, the, the seven countries in five years. This is about control. And they have armed the worst of the worst in the pursuit of that. The U.S. is capable neither of ensuring the safety of civilians and refugee camps, nor of guaranteeing the inalienable rights of thousands of children living there to a decent life, education, and medical care. They stressed that the similar situation occurred in the Al-Rukban camp in the U.S.-occupied zone of Al-Tamf, which we have proven to you. Whitney and I had to talk about this. This is one of her articles um, for, from Mintpress News. Syria's Rukban now little more than a U.S.-controlled concentration camp, and the Pentagon won't let refugees leave. This wasn't debatable. There was open discussion. We had documents. We had video. This was real. It still is. It, this is a hot spot for open terrorism activity. Once again, it says, quote, we want to draw the attention of the international community to the act acutely negative consequences of the military presence of the U.S. occupation forces on Syrian territory, theft of oil and wheat and illegal unilateral sanctions that prevent the strengthening of the Syrian state to return the population to a peaceful, decent life. Does that sound like fighting for freedom? Like, I don't care how you want to spin the narrative. These people are currently suffering specifically because of the current occupation of the U.S. government. Now, as much as you want people out there demonize the Russian government, you know what? Maybe they deserve it. What's happening in Syria is not something you can conflate 
The only reason Syria even exists, of course, in their minds out there, they're going to say yes, because they're also terrorists. It's just all dumb and obvious, clumsy narrative. There is the evidence is un, is undeniably clear. And even if you think that, well, the people of Syria voted them in. It's not the truth, though. So the point is that Syria, Russia is on the ground trying to make this happen. And you could argue it's for their best interest, probably is. But the only thing keeping Syria in de- desolation, it's the U.S. government. Period. This is from 2022. American shame in Syria. U.S. persecutes population with the sanctions, but steals 66,000 oil barrels every day. Do you remember when this first started and I showed you that video of, of tankers just rushing out with the oil? Remember that? Remember how far ahead that was and how people were so quick to say, that's not even real. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a Russian shill or you're whatever, whatever it is that day. Oh, are, are we at a point now where we can kind of, you know, be honest with ourselves and be like, yeah, that's still happening. This is this is from August 10th. But the point is, this is I mean, Sarah Abdallah shares stuff every day. It seems they are still to this very day guarding the oil. Oh, is that what Trump called it? Yeah. Literally moving the oil out of the country rapidly, burning and stealing the wheat and everything else they can get their hands on. New footage of a U.S. military convoy smuggling stolen oil out of Raqqa. The U.S. Army has been consistently looting the country's oil and smuggling it into their Iraqi bases. Yeah, real. It's not hard to understand. People don't even seem to care. Now, because of Trump, it's basically like, yeah, yeah, we're doing that because bad guy or whatever. It's, just, it's, just, it's almost like they're so smug about it that it doesn't even matter that we know. This is what the, this is the legacy of the U.S. government. The toxic legacy. Now, here's where it comes back to you. Trending Politics put this article out. It actually originally, the, the documents, it looks like, were released by America First Legal. We'll show you this, too. Uh, Biden administration launches initiative to train public how to spot radical conservatives. I see. I hate stuff like this because technically the quote is radicalized. So I don't I, I hate stuff like that because it's anyway, you get my point. I'm very specific about that, especially when it's in quotes. There's too much. People take it too, too loose today with this stuff. But it says how to spot radical conservatives and fight domestic terrorism. Now, the Department of Homeland Security, the DHS, under the administration of Joe Biden, is set to launch an initiative aimed at addressing the issue of domestic terrorism. Under this initiative, the DHS intends to provide educational resources, including videos, to help individuals identify potential threats related to domestic terrorism. Right? See, see something, say something on steroids. We're, gonna, we're not going to tell you to show us. We're going to tell you what you're seeing and explain to you why that's dangerous so you can then point at that anywhere you see it. This is training. The focus of these materials will be on promoting awareness and understanding of the signs associated with radicalization. Can you imagine what those might be? Like we've talked about before. You know them. Believing too much in the Constitution, right? Believing Donald Trump is the president. Oh, God forbid you have your own, your own opinions. Can't think that. Same thing, and weirdly enough, don't forget, when Joe Biden put out his executive order about domestic terrorism, here was a huge section about denying COVID-19 vaccines or challenging medical information. Just because they don't make that explicit now, it's still part of the game. And that could apply to climate change or whatever next garbage is spun out of here. The point is that you're a terrorist if you push back on the government narrative. That's all this is. President Joe Biden recently gave a graduation commencement address at Howard University. Of course, he, in the midst of releasing this information, gives a speech at a black college so he can speak about white supremacy. Like, that's how, we, how embarrassingly staged this stuff is. 
I guess we can't see his note cards on what to say and who to point to, as he always has. Of course, he claimed that white supremacy is literally the greatest terrorism threat to the United States. Well, at the moment, your government is the greatest terrorism threat to the United States. But overall, I mean, even like that's what I was saying before, like even statistically speaking. Does anybody care that this is just a broad, clumsy, like there's no evidence to this effect other than the fact that they just sweep up anything they want into a clumsy idea of like the the right leaning this and that and all these like, are they white supremacists? Are they actually conservative, right-leaning, MAGA, whatever? No, half the time, no. They just go, oh, here's one thing he said on this page, and that means we know, wink, wink, this is what he said. Or how about when you have a trans shooter when they just completely ignore everything? It's obvious that there's an agenda here, which doesn't mean that there's not white supremacy or extremists on any or any position here. Or how about the fact that they frame these white supremacy shooters have, as, oh, look, this guy's a Mexican shooter, but because he does this or says that, he's a white supremacist? Like, you guys are... It's 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 clumsy and clownish to make that statement. Now you can argue that he is, you know, believes in the concepts of white supremacy because of some kind of political agenda. But to say he's a white supremacist, it's just it, from a language perspective, it's wrong. It's not anyway. You get the point, and it's also not even actually what they seem to express. The point is, it seems to be misrepresentation, and then on top of that. I'm very suspicious about a lot of these things when you find out all of the weird misinformation and miss pictures put out that don't turn out to be them or ties back to the wrong places or they met with the FBI six times and you go, wait a minute, something else is going on here. Or at least you should have the courage to ask those questions. Always needing evidence to make any real claims. Always. On Sunday, DHS Secretary Alejandro uh, Morocas agreed with Biden's sentiment, of course, because you know they want you to know that you're the enemy. And I'm not, again, realize I'm not talking about white people. What this amounts to, as you can clearly see, when you have Mexicans being called white supremacists, it's about anybody who goes against the narrative. Now, just as always, it seems to be slanted one way, but that will change. It is about division and control. However, this national security assessment is based on extremely flawed and biased statistics amid FBI whistleblower accusations of politicized case reporting. We all know this. Every single thing involved with this is politicized. The Department of Homeland Security's transformation into a domestic intelligence organization and a Stasi-like deep state internal security apparatus is alarming, said the American First Legal Counsel, and I agree. I mean, I don't even care. Look, I don't even care if you think that the direction is correct. To just literally turn this into a focused agenda about specific people under a broad category that you label based on what you think their opinions are. So somebody saying Trump is still president is labeled a white supremacist. Somebody saying vaccines aren't helping people are labeled a white supremacist. We've already seen this. I mean, even people like Justin Trudeau said that. That's the point. It's broad and it's pushed on people's minds. And yet they push back when you say that. Quote, it is a long, very long way from see something, say something regarded as, uh, as you know, as a, regarding an unattended suitcase at the airport or to pro- profiling. Uh, he says it is a very long way from see something, say something regarding an unattended suitcase at an airport to profiling patriotic and politically conservative Americans as abusive parents and domestic terrorists because they oppose abortion on demand. And voted for President Trump. The agency's out of control. Now, they, I'll show you the things they list off. That's my point, though. So if you oppose abortion, you, and you are literally one step closer in their narrative or they're, they're tallying to being a white supremacist. Now, why do those two things even connect? Because they say so. 
it's, it's just not possible that somebody like, or how about the fact that you could have a, that somebody could be like, oh, here's an interesting point that I, that I have gotten into before that we can realize that things that like the group, the, the, the political party that founded the KKK is the Democrat party. That's a real thing. Easy to look up. Now, yeah, all everything has changed, but that's people. If you say that to somebody who is lost in the paradigm, who who's on the left side is going to scream. That's not true. That must be fake news. It's not real. Well, all it really shows you is that this is not unique to one side or the other. Your government is full of very extremist, racist, and bigoted people on all sides of the of all the sides of the spectrum. Historically speaking, and even today, as it flips around its ear and goes the other direction. I mean, look, I point out many times, look at the overlap to the idea. It's like, what is it called? The, the CIA's worst kept secret or the most, the idea of the, the obvious working with Nazis post-World War II and right up until this very day. And that just ultimately just means extremists, but specifically Nazis going after World War II. Operation or Project Aerodynamic. It's not hard to see. The report at Zero Head said the videos present scenarios where citizens might encounter po- potentially radicalized individuals. And real quick, back to that point again, the idea that, you know, it's kind of, it's almost humorous to think about the idea that you have people that are like literal Nazi connections and eugenics, or rather the, the, the truth behind the bigger picture, the Rockefeller funding of eugenics that was using the Nazi party carried the idea that those are the very same people pointing out and saying, you're all Nazis as they literally arm Nazis in Ukraine. Maybe there's a, you know, the, what's the, you know, the, the woman that she doth protest too much or whatever the, the phrasing is. The idea being that you're going Nazi, 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 because you're actually the extremist, right? Think about that. Most of the scripted scenarios showcase people with conservative beliefs and values as the radicalized threat. The focus of the DHS efforts was overwhelmingly on conservatives, with a not-so-subtle implication that conservatives and constitutionalists, or anyone that questions official government narratives, are domestic terrorists. Look, that's not even debatable. You read Biden's executive order, it is straight up, there's an entire section about people that question the government narrative or question long the the uh, large historical events. Like that's supposed to, like you're not allowed to debate how, how many things have they gotten wrong over history, even just by accident. Yet we're not allowed to, because it's not about actual truth. It's about control. You're not allowed to question the most obvious psyop in history 9-11 you're not allowed to question the discussions or you're not allowed to have a conversation about the holocaust and whether information was misinformed can't do that break it's not allowed nothing is off limits guys you're not you, you are allowed to have conversations and ask questions about anything as i said before the point being that if you're going to then jump on that without evidence or proof and make a statement well then you're irresponsible and i think you're an idiot but you're allowed to do it you're allowed to do it. That's called free speech. But at the end of the day, there's that middle line where you have to walk. When they say you're not allowed to question this discussion, well, you're damn right you're allowed to question it. You're damn right you're allowed to go into it and nitpick every damn thing, even just based on a theory, even just based on your opinion or your gut feeling. But stop where you go, okay, well, all these are our theories and we're going to leave it there until we have more evidence. That's what they're so afraid of, guys. They want you to jump further. They want you to be the conspiracy theorist they're pretending you are. Show them that you're better because you are. It says the focus or last part, two parts. This was done while the DHS and Democrats mostly ignored the violent actions of Black Lives Matter movement. Not all of it, but the ones I think were designed to be, you know, like there, you can listen. There's a whole lot of black commentators out there that will tell you that this is ridiculous. That it's that the idea. Well, and I'll even say this myself. I've said many times in the past that the idea of what's being presented through this mo- movement, not all of it, but specifically from the political sense of like Congress 
is inherently racist itself, acting like somehow these people need your help or need something or need a leg up, right? I mean, think about it for a second. Now, some people may think that that's justified. Maybe they're right. I don't think so. In the, in the long sense of things, at the end of the day, that the idea of trying to hold people accountable today for the actions of the past, it just seems kind of ridiculous. It doesn't get applied in every conversation, right? But at the end of the day, that there are people within that that are being radicalized, violent, and done so for the reason of political agendas, just like we're seeing with the Antifa movement or the trans right protesters. And that's a point we'll get to in a minute. DHS claims that it does not explicitly single out any specific political ideology. Well, of course, they can always pretend we don't single anybody out. The evidence just points in this direction. Well, it only does when you manufacture an agenda that points in a very certain direction and act like those are the only things we're seeing. Again, if you truly break this down into metrics and actual data, it's not even remotely the biggest threat we're looking at today. Today, American First Legal released documents obtained from a Freedom of Information Act request to the HH or to the uh, Department of Homeland Security that reveal shocking internal documents of the Office of Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention, so-called domestic terrorism. The internal memo dated January 29, 2021. Just eight days after Joe Biden was sworn in as president reveals a choose your own adventure game like memo for individuals to make real life decisions based on radicalization scenarios with various fictitious characters. The scenarios describe political viewpoints like opinions on abortion and expanded government. I don't know exactly why this is in quotes. There's nowhere that it says that as far as I can tell, unless I missed it. In any case, the point is that I, I generally agree with their sentiment here that the way this is listed, it's actually a good analogy. Choose your, it's basically like they just kind of give you the ability to basically frame anybody into this who simply has a little bit of skepticism toward the government. And obviously, if you're a conservative, well, you fall right into this. And the point is that it gives you the ability to go, here's what these people might look like, and then just make that the case. It says, for example, and this, it's so that what this is, it's right here, you can dive through it for yourself, is this document that wasn't meant to be for public use. It kind of just shows you this breakdown of like who and how to monitor. So these are all like fake cases, right? Here's a fake case number one, a radical ethnic, you know, the student who gets radicalized online, right? And it, it, it's just, it's very, very one-sided. Read it for yourself. As it says, for example, one of these characters, Anne, who is described as a middle-aged pro-life advocate, and another is Courtney, a budding conspiracy theorist, whatever that means. Receive my point? Like, that's such a stupid term. And the idea of a budding conspiracy theorist probably means that you question vaccine efficacy or that you think that climate change is not entirely accurate with the conspiracy theory, right? Or facts that you can prove. But, you know, trust the science or ignore it all and go with narrative. They also outline Pete, an anti-government authority abusive parent stepdad. Right. So being anti-government makes you a terrorist to them. Isn't that the entire point of this country was inherently about small government about uh, exactly. But see, we've gone full circle to exactly what we were fighting against, or at least the narrative goes. And now if you are literally in, try, in if you are embodying exactly what the founding fathers were expressing, you're a terrorist. What does that show you? You can read these for yourself. Anne's a resident of Elkville, rural America. Anne's always been religious, but since the death of her mother, you know, it's, it's just a fabricated narrative about a person. And if you think that these things aren't exactly demonstrating what they're talking about, very clearly slanted to the right, then you're just choosing not to see it. It's not debatable, guys. These documents further reveal that the government is using taxpayer dollars to expand its capabilities. I should say not debatable to me, but I think it's very clear that it says an obvious right slant. 
And it, what's funny is they probably push back and say, that's not true. But at the same time, in another conversation, be like, it's obviously mostly Republicans and white people that are the problem. Well, then you do think that <laughs> you said you do. So you're focusing on it. It's, con- it's confirmation bias to a degree. These documents further reveal the government is using taxpayer dollars to expand its capabilities to deem innocent people as extremists or domestic terrorists. The statement from the, the council. Oh, and I read this earlier. That they're out of control. Read it for yourself if you want to go through this. I recommend you do. Now, here's Biden's speech. I just want to hear, let you hear him say it with his weird face. And it's like the way he's trying to act like he's super serious. It reminds me of this face right here. Same point. The MAGA trap. Here's what he said. Stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. I mean, that doesn't even seem like a resounding response from them. I feel quite frankly, I feel like people in this community are are feeling patronized, right? Like you're like, come on, man. Like it's very clear that you're here just to do this, right? I mean, wouldn't you expect a resounding, like that's what they wanted. Standing ovation. Yay. Fight against the, I don't think that's, I think that this is an obvious agenda to literally everybody and the people involved with it are just doing it for, for politics. I mean, I should say literally, and there's plenty, there's always a a grouping of people that buy the narrative, but again, doesn't, don't the statistics matter, right? It's sort of like the idea of pretending that cops are, remember the whole push that we seemingly, we just all forgot about. I love love how these biggest issues ever just drop off the map when something else happens. But the idea that, you know, the defund the police and all that, well, they were pushing the idea that police were under attack. Well, in that exact moment, you could prove that they had literally, at least statistically, never been safer. Less things were happening. But yet the framing of it was showing you something different. Why do you think that happened? And look at how that was used and marshaled and people got into this big... It went from defund the police to funding them more than ever because freedom... It's absurd. And I know we all see it. I know it. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go. Yeah, right. I mean, you can see them like laughing in the background. I don't think anybody takes this person seriously. Frankly, I don't think anybody takes this government seriously at this point. But here we are. So the most dangerous threat to our homeland is white supremacy. So let's not mince words here. He's talking about Republicans. Like, what are we, are we talking about some infiltration white supremacy group from somewhere else? Well, sure, they're, I get to some degree, they're going to want to frame it that way, in my opinion, that Russia did this. But you have to realize what he's talking about is, at some point, Americans. Okay, well, on the surface, if you want to buy what he's saying, you believe what he's saying, well, you're going to say, well, they're white supremacy Americans and they're bad. Well, you have a right to think that. And I would agree if they're actual white supremacists, that they're disgusting people. But here's where we get into the argument about free speech. Now, obviously, actions are a problem, or rather, uh, not a problem, but actions are actions. So you do something that's a crime, well, you can be held accountable, right? So what are we talking about? Are we saying that these people are a threat because of what they think? Are we saying they're a threat because you know that they've committed violent crimes? Well, that's not what he's saying. And if they've committed violent crimes, you could go arrest them right now. So it's not secret, guys. What we're saying is they have ideas we don't allow anymore. When did that ever happen? Again, as you know well, in no way am I promoting white supremacy. In fact, most of what I do points out supremacy as a problem in any concept. 
and most of it's governmental supremacy and and what we're doing overseas. And and actually, in fact, what you can interestingly argue is how that has seemingly focused on. Well, it's, there's a whole other com- bunch of conversations to get into on what's been focused on overseas. Specifically, it seems Christians, largely with U.S. foreign policy in all these different locations, but usually brown Christians. Either way, the point is, it's about ideas. It's about saying you can't think certain things. Then you ask yourself, well, what are they framing as white supremacy? Well, when you can see somebody who simply just is a Republican, who wears a red hat, who says vaccines are hurting people, who thinks abortion is bad, that hits all the boxes for them. To them, that's a white supremacist. You know that I'm not making this up. They have on the corporate media quite literally termed people as racists or extremists because of those things alone. So there's the next problem. So first, you can't have certain ideas anymore, which is already where they've gone. Second, that you are part of that group just because we say so. Just because of one thing we don't think. Like, I was literally just called certain things from people because I simply pointed something out that you can prove. And then everybody in the chat, because of his rabid followers, all jumped on and continued to assume, incorrectly in fact, what my opinion was. And I, I played it out throughout the day because I thought it was hilarious. They all just, they, and they thought they got me. The point is that I was, they were wrong about what my opinion was. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Because everywhere, through Twitter files and everything else, people are being pushed and trained to be subjective. It's important to understand how clearly subjective, the way we're being trained to do so is is a huge part of this agenda. So you don't need to prove it. We said they are, therefore they are. And right now, from a lot of people's perspective, just simply being a white person, especially a white man, puts you in that category. And I'm not making that up, but I'm not saying that's everybody. Most everything I'm getting into today is about the minority being framed as the majority of the conversation, not the other way around. But here we are. White supremacy is the most dangerous threat, despite statistically saying, proving that's not even true. And the conflation of the entire conversation, this becomes very dangerous. And we've talked about this for a while now. This is September 2nd, not the first time we talked about it. But just because in here he's saying, but I'm not talking about everybody or whatever. Was that what I, did I finished this? Yeah, I did. The point is that he's in the speech trying to differentiate. Well, we're not talking about all Republicans are all well, well, yeah, but you are though, because you made this very clear in this big shouting red background speech that wasn't 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 very subtle at all, which we've termed the MAGA trap. The idea that they're trying to set people up, I believe quite strongly, to drive action from a faction of people that they can frame as the problem. Now they frame that as MAGA. Now that if you depending on who you talk to, MAGA is all conservatives a very small portion of extreme conservatives or, you know, like it's, it's all over the map. And anytime they, even from the government's perspective, even Biden's framing seems to shift. I think tr- generally where I think we know the truth that they're trying to frame anybody that pushes back on what they're saying as a right wing extremist, conservative, whatever, which m- people like myself don't come anywhere near those boxes, but they make that argument. And that's why it's about creating a narrative. And the MAGA trap is about pushing people into those boxes so they can then frame them as what they want. And and the point is, even when they know that, like a January 6th conversation. Now, we've just pointed that we pointed out the Patriot Front conversation numerous times. I mean, this is just painful how silly this all is. As many people have started to talk about the fact that, well, if you look at these people. And I'll get I'll, I'll make one point and I'll tell you why I can prove to you that they're connected to the agenda. Well, it seems odd how they're all in uniform. They're all marching. 
They all are seemingly, as somebody pointed out, all seemingly in a similar like fitness state. It's almost as if they're all a bunch of agents, right? <laughs> or they're acting as such. And the way that they're tr- treated by the people around them or the way that they're arrested very specifically without removing their masks and keeping them bound, but then loading them into a truck. It's all this stuff we've seen last time. It's very suspicious. And you have a right to think that because it is a front. It's not even debatable at this point. A group called the Patriot Front are currently marching toward the U.S. Capitol. This was two, two days ago. Currently, approximately 150 to 200 individuals identified as the Patriot Front and recognized as right-wing organization is advancing towards the United States Capitol. Now, let me ask you this, actually. Just because somebody is a, let's just say they're openly racist. Let's say they're openly about, you know, yeah, let's say they're openly promoting exactly what the Ukrainian government is promoting. You know, the spreading of the white race around the world. That's not a secret. That's exactly what they have openly stated from the Azov movements, Voboda, and all these different groups that are running that country right now. But let's pretend that's not true because, you know, we don't want to talk about that. But the reality, the point, the point being that let's just say these groups are openly racist, openly white supremacist. Why is that just then conflated with the right? Right? Think about that. Especially since we can t- tie the roots back to these racist organizations like the KKK to the Democrat Party. Why is it now inherently that? Well, because that's the framing, you see. Now, they may identify as a conservative group. The point is that it doesn't matter. If you come out as a group and you act like this, people will say you're a conservative group without even asking you. Doesn't that show you something? Doesn't it matter what they identify? No, it doesn't matter because you, you do the things that we say are concerned. Okay, so it's just a narrative. There's plenty of conservatives I know that think this is ridiculous. Numerous Metro DC police officers escorting them as they're working to maintain a separation between the group and counterbody. Very silly. The group's continuing to march and numerous police escorts them around. You can see they've got drums and all the stuff. It's Say, you, you want my opinion about this? The, the, the classic drum uh, and the marching and the old flags. Guys, this is meant to make people think that the classic idea of the revolution of America, anybody that believes in the Constitution and believes in the country are now conservative right-wing extremists. Just like they've always been doing. If you believe in the Constitution too much, you're dangerous to us. That's not my opinion. That was literally stated in government documents. So... I think it's kind of obvious why they want to conflate being pro-American with extremists because they're rapidly going in a different direction today. Yeah, and then it says, <laughs> so stupid. Now they're putting their group, their, the group are now putting their shields and flags into a white U-Haul van after they marched around Washington, D.C. for an hour. They're now making their way back to the metro. Now let me ask you this. The first time this happened, well, they arrested them all. Right. Remember that when they got them all with their hand. Well, here's the point everyone made. Okay, explain for me what police officer would first line them up like this, not take their arms and bags off, not take their masks off, but they would handcuff them and then unhandcuff them to usher them into the back of a U-Haul, which is what happened in one case at the very least. And what what was the charge? Well, they had they had shields and and flags and the same stuff. Okay, well, so apparently it was enough to arrest them here, but not here. Why is that exactly? Maybe because they changed their minds or maybe because this is all part of an organized effort. Now, we've talked about this extensively. The Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. It's not debatable here. Please watch this show if you want to go through this in depth. But here's the main point. 
even when you just search for the Patriot Front on Google, it very clearly shows you things on the right about who they are that shows you what I'm talking about. The Patriot Front is an American white nationalist and neo-fascist hate group, part of the broader alt-right movement. Now, first of all, what does that mean? What is the alt-right movement? Well, this is just a political framing, mostly from the left-leaning media. So there's plenty of right movements that have no association with this group at all, that completely and even ideologically think they're ridiculous. Well, it doesn't matter, though. They're, they're, you're, an all, you're on the same side because we say you are. It's just about framing everybody on the right a certain way. It's just stupid. It's clumsy. It is broad stroking. And, even you know, you broad stroke, whitewash other things. You're racist. You're ignorant. But we can do it. It's easy because we want it's just it's just it's near it's political manipulation. Right. See my point? The alt right, the broader alt right. <laughs> this is stupid. Now, it's a split off group from Vanguard America, which directly ties back to the Azov movement. That's easy. Okay, well, and that because the Vanguard movement is the group that was the Unite the Right rally in 2017, which, if you remember, was the beginning of this conversation. The the marching down the street with their pitchfork or their torches and say they will not replace all that. Remember that stuff? Remember that was that was the Rise Above movement. Who is also their affiliations right here on the on the main page. Thomas Russo, all these people. Right. Well, it's not it's provable. Actually, I forgot. Let me pull this up real quick. See if I can get it. There we go. Perfect. I've had this. I've been sharing this over and over for the longest time. Verifiable facts. And all the links and documents are in here for yourself to check out. All of them. The point is that the FBI, well, you can just read through this for yourself. The point, the bottom line is that the Rise Above movement is, and I'll just show you this one. According to the experts, the international arm of the Azov movement. The Azov's political wing the movement has gone international. Germany's third pound, America's rise above movement, Italy's Casa Pound. And more than that, by the way. So my point is, if we know wherever it was, I guess it's funny. I don't I feel like I open these every time and I forget. <laughs> All these. I mean, these are this is some I, I stand by this work, man. This is some good stuff. The idea being that it's not just the Azov movement. Documents prove that the CIA has been cultivating fascism in Ukraine since at least 1948, even before it was called the CIA. It was called the it's called Project Aerodynamic. It's on the record. I've gone over it a hundred times. It's very, very, very clear. They created this just like they talked about with the fascist entity in Afghanistan to fight the Soviet Union. They did the same thing in Ukraine, and they started this back against the Soviet Union, and it continued to this day. Now you can prove, as I just showed you, and this, you can all the documents are here. This is d- written directly by experts, and this is easy to prove on the record because they openly state this. And they, they've gone back and forth. They've gone to fighting groups in the Ukraine, and the, and the rise above or the Azov movement has come to the United States. They've spoken at their meetings. The point is that the rise above movement is the international arm, or is simply the Azov movement. Okay, so if the point is that the Azov movement, which are, are what we know that they are, and then I can prove to you based on the research I've done extensively that these groups are directly tied to the U.S. government. They were trying to blame Russia, that which is basically lost. If we know that, and we know that the Rise Above movement and the Vanguard were the groups at the, right, the Unite the Right rally, it was the impetus for the entire conversation about the right and alt-right and the white supremacy and all of that, and this is tied directly to the Patriot Front, which it is, and I've done great work on this going through and showing you this, 
then what are we talking about here? We're talking about a group that is tied to a CIA operation. It's not hard to understand. And that's why this looks stupid. It looks like it obviously and why they get treated differently. Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. And go through this and read it for yourself, guys. It's not hard to understand. They've known for a long time that these are these are fascist, neo-Nazi elements. They hide that from you today. They've known this was going to be what it was today since a long time ago. CIA's operating training programs of the Azov movement since 2015 after the Obama administration, even before. I mean, uh, Stoltenberg just openly said since 2014 they've been there. So it's not even secret anymore. So they built this. They made this. They have an international arm. They created the movement. They created the hype. And now they're doing it again. It's impossible to miss. Vanilla ISIS is here. The CIA constructed illusion meant to demonize Russia and justify war on you. Here's a new report that just came out. This was today, in fact, or rather a, a, a poll. Vote. Are you worried domestic terrorism will affect you or someone in your family? This is being pushed down your throats right now with this random picture of what does it look like? Patriot prayer protesters. <laughs> Come on. They can't even make new names for these people. So 31 days remaining. Already got 6,000 votes. It just came out. So we'll have to follow up and see what they say, but I don't like, not like it's going to matter. Well, here's an interesting point. You might have heard that the, the Durham report is, being, is going around right now. And here, Technofrog put out a thread about this. Now, you, the thread's interesting. You should read this because it gets into the interesting part about how, you know, basically they use the Russiagate narrative and all this stuff to hide criminal activity that was being conducted by the Clinton campaign and how the Clinton campaign was a part of it. Mean, it's very, it's interesting. And you should read this. But what I want to focus on is the first point, which we've already talked about. The Clinton campaign plan to link Trump to Russia, which was known to the CIA. You know this already. In fact, we've already even talked about this. But thinking about the broader point and now having more reports to back up this general idea. And they go on to talk about how this was used. But think about it in a different context. Why did they do that? Was it just because of Trump or was it really because of the agenda that we keep pointing out in part about creating the connection to Trump and the right and the extremism to Russia? So you can blame all of this on Russia. You can blame the influencing of the neo-Nazi elements in everywhere else to Russia. There's been a plan and I, I can, we've proven this on the show to tie back all of what's happening right now to, at the feet of Russia. That's why we talk about that group inside of Russia called the base, which is literally the U.S. translation for the term Al Qaeda. And who runs the Al who runs the base? A white supremacy group, a person who literally has top secret clearance from the DHS, worked for the U.S. government in counterterrorism, and just woke up one day and said, "I'm going to quit, move to Russia, and start a white supremacy group." It's insulting to your intelligence. And that's, these groups are being set in this, and it's, it's, almost, it's almost meant to be obvious. I don't know. So think about this in this context. The January 6th was meant to be something that used Trump, that used this idea, that drove people to act. And they didn't take the bait. Most of them didn't. Nobody even brought guns. They were waiting for this to happen. And it failed because we were pointing this stuff out. January 6th was always a very clear government operation. Don't forget, you've got members of the Azov movement on the ground. And it's not just this picture, by the way. Watch the show. It's very clear. Pictured right next to this main character. And guess what, guys? A member of the Ukrainian Azov movement was on the ground screaming, let's go, repeatedly in Russian. It's on the record. We've shown you the videos. How do you make sense of that without realizing how all this ties together? 
how all of this was meant to be an operation to frame exactly what I'm saying. And they're still trying to clumsily force this in right now. Well, as they're screaming that white supremacy is the biggest threat in your life. It's an interesting point to make about this recent study that came out or it's recent issue 2020. And so here's what's crazy, actually. We're watching this crazy rise in in the in the the anger and the fight and the fervor of the of the politicized trans community. This is before that. So you can only imagine what this would be saying now. Here's the article or the study Springer link Springer.com fighting hate speech, silencing drag queens, artificial intelligence in content moderation and risks to LGBTQ. It says companies operating internet platforms are developing artificial intelligence tools for content moderation. Technologies developed to measure the, quote, toxicity of text-based content. They use what's called perspective, with a capital P, and AI technology. Now, the research that they found, that perspective considered, a significant number of drag queen Twitter accounts in 2020 to have higher levels of toxicity than the white nationalists they were also monitoring. <laughs> uh, you know, and of course, this was just going to be dismissed. They're going to look and say, oh, this guy or this person does whatever, and that means we can ignore it all. That's all that happens. Alternatively, the absence of that happens in something that they want to agree with. Right? An observational thing that's quick and there's less evidence and it's, well, it all, I mean, we know that's the truth. This is, you can, the point is you don't blindly trust any science. You trust the scientific method and you look at the information and you come to your own conclusions. And the point about this is it's hard to deny when you back up and you look at the information on the ground and you, it makes sense why this stands out because all you have largely around the white supremacy, white nationalist, first of all, which is not even necessarily racist. It just means you believe in, in, well, tech, excuse me, thinking about nationalist is not necessarily racist, but a white nationalist, depending on how they frame it. So somebody who believes in, somebody who's an American nationalist, like right now, they're all screaming in support of the Ukrainian organization of nationalists. Don't forget about that. That's all about freedom. But then if you're even a nationalist in any form in this country, you're a terrorist and a racist. It's just hilarious how these people do mental gymnastics to scream they're fighting Nazis and then openly scream to fund Nazis. It's pathetically stupid. But anyway, the point is you have an American who's a nationalist and if they're white, you're a white nationalist. And to them, that means racist, but it doesn't mean inherently racism. It doesn't. The term nationalist just simply means you are about nationalism as opposed to globalism. It's been so contorted. It's hilarious. But either way, the point is that you're monitoring accounts online of people that they claim are extremists. And when they're mo in the monitoring of that, you find drag queens on Twitter before this big rise who are more toxic in what they're doing. Now, again, the point I was going to make was that, that the point ultimately, let's just say you were taking white supremacists, like actual open Nazis or whatever you want to call it. The point is that you can monitor these groups and you will find far, far, far less of that kind of engagement in regard to groupings and organized efforts than you will find, than, than you, far less than you will find in the current iteration of the extremist in any of these groups, the Antifa groups, the, and it's not just left-leaning. But these points, these groups that are, I think, operations or at the very least being driven. And that does not mean all trans people or all anything. It just means these politicized groups. But either way, this found that.
the qualitative analysis revealed that perspective was not able to properly consider social context when measuring toxicity levels and failed to recognize cases in which words that might conventionally be seen as offensive conveyed different meanings for the LGBTQ. Oh, okay. So they're just misunderstood. I wonder if they give you that kind of like how about the fact that anybody saying anything could potentially be misunderstood. But when you're white and you say certain things, you mean them because we think so. Right. But if you're in this crowd, well, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we maybe we just don't understand how they meet. That's so stupid and childish. If you're saying things that are of toxic and offensive, they're toxic and offensive. It doesn't matter. The point is, you're allowed to say those things because that's called free speech. And maybe you didn't mean them that way. But if they're perceived that way, well, that's what they are to the people listening to them. That's not a, that's not an argument to say that they have a right to control your speech because they're offended. That's stupid. Free speech includes toxic, offensive speech. But what I think is hilarious is this study goes out of its way to be like, maybe we just don't understand that they mean them in a different way. So when they scream, you're a disgusting person and you don't, they, they just mean it in a positive way. Like, it's just kind of stupid. The overall point is, comparatively, in 2020, accounts that were pushing the drag queen conversation were more toxic than the white nationalists they were telling you to be so afraid of. But I guess nobody cared about that. Now, here are some points that I want to make in this conversation. Now this, thank you for El Hombre. He's always given me a lot of interesting things to talk about. In no way does this represent every person in this community. I want to be very clear about that. My personal opinion is it doesn't even represent the majority. I do. There's two parts to this. There are people that I think are actively involved in this kind of activity because they are bad people, because they want to control the people. They want the power. They, they're obsessed with this. Then there's the people that might actually think they're doing the right thing or whatever. And that does exist. doesn't mean they're right. This is ridiculous, childish, and and just lowbrow. But the the point is that there are people that might just be wrapped up in this. And then there's the people that just don't care. Overall, my opinion is that this is not the majority. And I think, quite frankly, everybody is getting tired of this kind of nonsense. The point is, this person goes into a building and claims this person calls her sir. Or it's it's a man. So let's let's you know. Look here, I've always said I really don't care about calling somebody what they want to be called. It doesn't matter to me. But the moment that you act like this, then I'm going to go out of my way to call you what I want to call you because I take issue with being forced to say things a certain way. Right? It's not about respect when you're not respecting my free will. So I will call. It's a bottom line. This is a biological male. It's a man who walks into this place, this place, and this person says, "Sir." Now, just because the man is wearing a wig and has breasts does not mean that that is her right to demand that somebody come. I mean, think about the, the entitlement that comes along with walking in somewhere and saying, without you knowing each other, that you have to say this, that you should have assumed, that you should have called me, and then going to this length, getting so angry as to scream and live stream just because this person called you sir. And on top of that, the guy's swearing up and down that he didn't even say it. Now, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It doesn't matter. Let me say that again. It does not matter. He has a right to say what he wants. You do not have a right to control what other people say, period. And what's happening here is people like this believe that. Like, that's the crux of the point here, right? We need to see this. We need to understand that this person and and people like this, not all trans people, but people like this, truly believe they have a right to control what you can say. Now, just in a general sense, think about how crazy that is that we ever got here and then realize that you have people in political situations, authority, who are abusing these people, some of which are mentally troubled. 
and driving them into a situation to abuse them to achieve their ends. If you think for one second they care about your right to be called a certain term, you are completely lost. Now let's watch what this is. All day, you guys, and this is what I complain about all the time. Look, what's what's his name? What's your name? My name Alex. Is Tommy. Yeah, your name's Alex, and I'm gonna be talking to your manager. This guy called me sir. I get this happens every day. Everywhere I go, I get called sir. I'm so sir. Why would you call a chick? Big ass. Why would you call? I didn't say. No, stop trying to gaslight trans people and tell us that we're crazy. Like just right at this point, like what what do you think you're doing here, right? This has nothing to do with fighting for trans people. This has nothing to do with doing the right thing. This is all about this man. That's what this is about. It's about him. It's about him being the victim. It's about him standing up and saying, you did this and I want, they want the attention. That's my opinion, obviously. But who thinks this is the right thing to do in any circumstance? To stand up and make that, well, I, I take that back, actually. I'm sure there'd be some circumstance where you'd want to make a big deal about it, but in the context of, of using the wrong name, calling you a woman when you're a man or a man or a woman or say, like, this is the stupidest thinking somebody's supposed to know your name, and when you walk in, they don't say your name, and you flip out. How dare you not say my actual name? How dare you assume that you know my name? That's as stupid as that. How, how in the world are they supposed to know? I mean, are, are, aren't we not? The bottom line is, aren't these people like, I mean, I, look, you get my point. It's just frustrating. And the point is, this thing gets represented as all trans people, and it's not on one side. And the other side, this gets represented as justified, and it's not. Wait, what? Did you call me sir again? What was that? You said goodnight, sir? This oh, is transphobic dear. harassment. Oh, You're a transphobic harassment. Right. Like, like, I'm just I'm glad I wasn't working there at this time. <laughs> it's just you are not you are going to push me into actually whether I did it or not. You're you are demanding that I change my actions based on your personal opinions. That is stupid in any context. Bigot. Oh my work. All right, Alex, you know what? I, I can't wait to just it's a slur. Do you not understand? I never you, said it's like if you call the person I that color the N word. Don't. No, it's not. not. You did on the way out. I don't I, care. But I, never said I have the right to be pissed about I never it. Said you did. And by the way, this conversation just got so out of control with somebody else's podcast. I forget who it was. But, you know, in the same context, if somebody says the N word, I would say I think they're a disgusting person because that's a racially that's, you know, for whatever reason, that terms like the one bad thing, you know, the one thing. But I agree. I think I think it's pretty harsh just because of the way people perceive it. However, somebody has a right to say it. That's called free speech. Period. Right? I mean, this is this is the kind of idea that people just have in it's impossible for some people to wrap their minds around. That gets contorted into me supporting racism. And that's just as stupid as it gets. My my opinion is very clear about somebody who would call somebody that word. But at the end of the day, that's called free speech. It's not a crime to insult somebody, right? The problem is we've gotten to this point to where they're using this against everybody. Everybody. Dead, you liar. Since people need to be held accountable for how they treat trans people. And I'm not going to put up with this shit anymore. You're crazy, bro. You're a Don't call me bro. Stop throwing slurs at me, you piece of shit. No. Right, and and th this is so slurs. So in a common vernacular, saying bro 
which, you know, he probably did it on purpose. I would too at that point. But for her to, for him to lose his mind to the point to where he is screaming and actually being the violent and harassing one. Interesting how that works out. That's just, that's somebody who's unstable. you! I don't need your sis, I need your bro! You don't even know me! Alright, so then he calls her sis, him sis, and that's not okay either. Now, too late now! You don't get to do the right thing now! It's just like this person is out of their mind. Or, it's all just about being recognized. Suddenly, everyone's going, oh, you're so brave. I thank you for your courage. What, what, are they in the military now? That's what's happening. Because this is the new political push. And again, I know just as many trans people out there that think this is absurd and are embarrassed about this. Don't call me sir. This is this is transphobia. Right here at the public. Yeah, you know, you heard Yeah, and you know what? They probably haven't. That person's probably going to spend the rest of their life trying to make this place a problem to the point to where they might even do things that are illegal, right? They might even actually do something like spray painting the window or putting, which, by the way, we keep seeing from people just like that. <clears throat> and then it gets framed as, you know, freedom or, or fi- you know, protesting. Well, here's another interesting point. This person in obviously an account that seems to focus on this males in disguise, it's called. And this is pointing out another female or rather man in a cycling race who just won. The person in the middle is a trans person. Now, the frustrating part about all this is that the focus of this entire conversation on the corporate media was about how gross it was this woman didn't smile. I swear to you. And the point is that she's upset because of how this went. Now, let me show you why. This person, and you can check this for yourself. He actually includes the link right here. He says, so, so I looked up the results. Not only did Tara, this man in the middle, have the best time in the woman's cat 3-4 race. Oh, no, wait, hold on. making sure i'm not misreading it yeah i'll just read it to you so he said looked up the results not only did tara have the best time in the woman's cat three four. Oh yeah that's right okay i was making sure i didn't misunderstand the, the uh, read the wrong tweet because there's two of them not only did tara have the best time in the woman's cat three four five race tara's time would have given her the first place finish in the woman's pro one two race now think about that how this man who was racing in the woman's race Raced in the woman's pro race. She would have been first place. He would have been first place. Now, had Tara tried racing in the men's cat one, two, three, her time wouldn't even have qualified. Now, think about that for a second. This is not meant to be insulting. or if it, if it is to you, that's too bad because this is the reality. That you're having a situation, and again, this is not meant to be insult, you know, attacking anybody left or right or in the trans community, whatever. This is just act- the reality of why people in all walks of this conversation, usually in sports, are standing up and going, look, this is not appropriate. You're having men who are becoming women and then destroying everybody in the woman's side despite their results when compared to the men's side, not even being notary or uh, notable. And that keeps happening over and over and over. Now, why? Because everybody who has two brain cells to rub together can see this is why we, have, in the beginning, split these sports to begin with. Because there is, I, there is, uh, what's the right word for it? Uh, genetic, not is it genetic or just you know, just differences in the way our bodies are made. And this last one just says, "I'm genuinely curious: Are there trans women who are competing in women's sports, but just not annihilating their competition?" That's a good question that I would like someone to follow up on. Are there trans men who are competing in men's sports? 
that are annihilating their competition. Right. So think about this. Like the point is, are, are there right now? And is there an example of a trans of, of a man competing in women's sports that's just mediocre? Right. Think about that, because I don't see that happening. Every single example that I see, and maybe that's just because they're the ones being pointed out. That's a fair point. I did look. Every example I see is like this, where we see the, 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 the man who became a woman who is destroying the competition, but at the same time, comparably, is not even on the table when it comes to the other side. Now, why don't why doesn't that matter? And then we have to ask whether this is happening just for this point. Now, the fact that that's supposed to be insulting, like that's not possible, is as stupid as every other political fervor we've seen. During Kavanaugh, it was trust all women. And anybody that said, well, that's kind of stupid because they could lie. You're a racist or you hate women. Remember that? That's how this goes. It's the old, the people are rabid, rabid about this. So we're pretending that it's not possible someone could lie. We're, We're pretending that it's not possible that somebody could be a predator and pretend. No, no, not possible. Of course it is. By the way, one quick point about this in the comment section. Check this out. Visibility, visibility limited. This tweet may violate Twitter's rules against hateful conduct. We're still in Elon's Twitter here, guys. That's never went away. Just so we see that, that never went away. They are suppressing and censoring what they deem hateful conduct. Do you want to see what it says? Tranny athletes just can't hang with the big boys. Apparently that's censor worthy on Twitter right now. Despite the fact that you can show some horribly like vicious stuff right now on online in other contexts, you know, black people against white people or any other number of, of points you could make. Yet that doesn't matter apparently. So they're subjectively choosing just like they always have, which ones are off limits and which aren't. Are they not trans tranny? I mean, transvestite was the original term that was in fact used coined by the person that started this whole movement back in the early 1900s. So tranny as much as the truncation of the term, is in fact the original term. Tranny athletes, and even if you find it insulting, are we not allowed to say insulting terms on Twitter? Apparently not some of them, which shows you that it's always subjective. Can't hang with the big boys. That's again, that's off the off the table. Never changed, guys. People are so quick to, I mean, look at where we just went with the whole Elon thing. I mean, my God, can we not see how people in the partisan game continue, seemingly by choice, continue to allow the barking, talking heads on each side of the partisan game to push you in these directions every single time. If you listen to the sides, Elon's either a white supremacist extremist, which is not true in my opinion, or he's a freedom fighter fighting for free speech, which is also not true. Both sides are stupid. boiled down to the lowest common denominator. I I really do think everyone sees that. I don't know why we can't do something about it. So next point is the other thing I mentioned, right? Again, this does not represent every trans person. I don't even think it's the majority. The point though, just like I just said, with Kavanaugh and the rest of the, are we going to pretend like it's not possible that a, a sexual predator could decide to transition or just, you know, put a wig on? Because apparently that's all you need. We just talked about last time, grown men completely with no trans, no surgeries, full, with a full, I just want to be too crude about it, <laughs> with a penis. In a locker room around underage, underage girls. And they were chastised for saying it traumatized them. That's how broken this is right now. So we're going to pretend that a man with a wig on can't actually just be a sexual predator to achieve that end? 
I mean, it's not even, it's not a question. Obviously that's possible. And yet we're not even allowed to ask. And then when we start doing the, the bathroom conversation, we have examples of, of trans people sitting there masturbating in front of other people. We've already seen this, guys. They just don't point it out. I showed you the video myself. It was displayed in front of the, the, uh, the local council there, the, the government. And still nothing happened. Here it is, Daily Mail. This is from August 2013. But just realize that this is something that can happen. Pedophile drag queen arranged to meet father to have sex with his children. 8 and 11, but was, of course, caught by the police who set up a sting operation. This is a, was a reasonably well-known drag queen at the time. Now, I'm not saying that means every drag queen's a problem or that because you're a drag queen that you should be suspect. But the bottom line is that, yes, this is possible. And so when we have an idea, and I'm not talking about just drag queens going and dancing where consenting adults can go watch. What I'm saying is that we know if that's possible, which it obviously is, when you have a situation where this kind of element is being presented around children, there's no reason that's okay. I'm not talking about people who are, you know, like the idea that with somehow an issue about trans people in some people's minds, it is. But what I'm talking about is the sexualization part, which is why the bills they seem to have an issue with aren't talking about drag queens. It says adult cabaret, which exposed their stance from the beginning because you're having an issue with the idea of stopping sexualized content around children and pretending it's about stopping drag queens. It says very clearly what it's about. You know this is possible. And anybody honest would say, well, we can't allow that to be an undiscussed problem. Then we could talk about the idea of free speech in a general sense. Being told that you have to say something a certain way. Being told that you can't say racist things. Apparently being told that you're not even to have certain thoughts. Well, this is from 2022, but this is still happening. This is Pembrokeshire man on trial accused of disturbing, distributing, and this is what I think is so interesting, racist and anti-Semitic podcast. Now, as far as I can tell, this guy isn't open, or at least, you know, a person who has ideas that they consider to be white supremacy, which doesn't, it doesn't I wouldn't even dispute that. And I'm in no way defending his ideas. But the point is, having a podcast and expressing these ideas is not a crime. At least it wasn't. And in the UK now, apparently, it's you can go to jail for not just putting out, you know, racist things, but what they claim, and we just talked about this, having the intent to, uh, what's the term they used, to stir up racial hatred. I mean, how in the world do you, I mean, unless you, I mean, in this case, how do you prove that the, the idea was not just to discuss this stuff? Even if you think it's racist, even if it's openly racist to actually arguing he wanted to stir up racial hatred. Well, that's that's their opinion. They're going to say, well, because he put it out on a podcast, the idea is he wants people to hear it. And then there's here comes a subjective assumption that he wants people to act on these things. Now, if he said that, that's one thing. As far as I could tell, it's simply the idea that he had a podcast that was about white supremacy. And simply because he had the podcast, he's now in jail. I think about how crazy that is. It, it just blows my mind that we've drawn these lines where you can offend somebody or do something that's kind of broadly decided is off limits. And now you're in, you're in jail because you can't speak or say these things, regardless of how much we might all agree that they're detestable. That is not free speech. Now, it says a man was accused of setting up a highly racist and highly anti-Semitic podcast. And the station, I guess, was originally called Radio Aryan, which, by the way, just so we're clear, 
Aryan means relating or denoting people speaking Indo-European languages or ancient peoples thought to have spoken Proto-Indo-European and, and the hypothetical language, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, yeah, that's been turned into different things. You know, people, that's the Nazi ideology have used this, but it has a meaning. Now, obviously, it does appear to me he used it in a way that was meant to align with racist things. But I'm just pointing out how, how subjective these things can get. But, and the point is, that they went on trial, but he's changed, the podcast name was changed, I guess. He's been accused of 15 counts of distributing a sound recording stirring up racial hatred. Now, here's where I think is interesting. Was he out on the streets distributing this to people? No. He had a podcast where people could go to it if they wanted to. That's very different. But the way that they're using this law is about, about as if he was out there giving this to people in the, with the intent to get them to act. As always, the government is being like it's the point. What it shows you is that they don't even have firm standing with where they currently are doing right now. The charge is related to audio files which were uploaded on or before May 17, 2019 or 2021, were called Radio Aryan and later changed to Radio Albion. The episodes are said to have been insulting or abusive, which last I checked weren't crimes against my ethnic minorities. Still, as far as I can tell, it's not a crime to be insulting. And the abusive simply means because you're insulting them. This isn't physical action, so that's a misrepresentation to me. Often uploading along with inflammatory cartoons and giving titles such as Rivers of Blood, Ban in the UK, and so on. uh, Prosecutor Ian Wright said it is the Crown's case that he was responsible for distributing the audio recording. That's that's the reason they're framing it that way. That's to, to match a certain law discussion. Was the owner of the website and the main host, despite often being joined by other people and guests. Now he says these recordings are insulting or abusive. So that insulting or abusive. That's how there's a lawyer. So he's the point is those is meeting a certain term inside of the legal thing they think they're trying to apply to. So insulting, obviously not abusive, because we're talking about not actions but words. I mean, words can be abusive, obviously, but I think that term in a legal sense usually means something more than just saying things that aren't nice or insulting or racist. And we're distributed with the intent to stir up racial hatred. Now, how do you prove that? Right? How exactly do you prove he had an intent to make people act a certain way outside of his conversation? That's them telling you that, period. It says it's the case for the prosecution that his defendant was responsible for the creation of those files, which were highly racist and highly anti Semitic in nature. Well, guess what? They say that about me. They say when I point out the Israeli government did completely everything, we point out the Israeli government is exactly what the what the H, uh, Human Rights Watch and Betselem and Amnesty International all call them, they say I'm being racist. How does that make sense? Because they're a, a apartheid supremacist state, which is what they're openly called now by all these human rights watch groups, but apparently I'm racist. Okay. Well, they also say that I'm, oh, rather, let's put anti-Semitic when I point that out, even though I'm talking about the government of Israel killing people. Nothing to do with the Jewish population, but let's just pretend. Well, they call me racist when I talk about half the things I talked about today. So you can see how quickly this could be applied to me. Not because it's justified, not because I'm racist or anti-Semitic, because I'm not either of those things, that they would say that, and then suddenly they would argue, well, he has an intent. Simple as that, guys. And there you go. Three years, I'm in jail. That's how this works. In the UK, anyway. Can we not see how dangerous this is? I think we all can. Mr. Wright added that the content was white supremacist in nature. So there's an there's a building thing to all this. Now, again, you look into this, I, it's pretty clear this guy does seem to be somebody who is a racist or a white supremacist or whatever term you think you want to use, that he's promoting ideas that are associated with supremacy, the white supremacy. But 
it doesn't change the fact, and this is where it comes down to supporting terrible, disgusting, reprehensible speech if you believe in free speech. Speech is not a crime, but they are trying like hell to make it one. Here is another one. I actually looked this up in, the, in trying to find this one and found another one that goes back another year. Another similar discussion. This one's even crazier. British podcaster sentenced to nearly three years in jail for anti-Semitic remarks. Who made anti-Semitic remarks was sentenced to 32 months in prison. I mean, you can read this for yourself. It's the same thing. Insulted Jewish people with anti-Semitic language with the aim of inciting racial hatred. It's the same law. It's completely subjective and it is out of control. Now, the point is, I mean, you could read what he's, you know, talking about a, a, you know, a Jewish argument about not wanting about money and so on. Okay, fine. I would argue that's probably insulting to Jewish people. But are you not allowed to say that? Of course you are. It's called free speech. And we have a right to say you're a disgusting human being. The problem is that they have so quickly changed this to where they have a screaming rabble, this, this group of rabid people that think that they can control what you're allowed to say because it insults them. This is the participation ribbon group come full circle. Now, in this conversation, you'll find an interesting overlap to people who are doing far, 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 far more reprehensible things and getting let off. Now, this is just, obviously, you can always kind of juxtapose things like this. This is not the full picture, but I do agree this is happening. So this person is saying the British podcaster was jailed for two years for offensive speech. And it's saying not a single member of the public even complained about his broadcast. Now, I, I, don't, I can't confirm that. The same judge, the same judge, which is important, let multiple pedophiles walk free. Here's an example. Uh, just this one, these two right here. Judge tells school caretaker found with 600 child abuse images, he is taking a risk as he lets him walk free. Imam, who raped a schoolgirl in mosque, given absolute discharge due to his dementia. Now, you can have opinions on that all day long. The bottom line is, how does that line up? And this is 2022, guys. How does that line up with this conversation? Three years for insulting and racist remarks? But these people are literally cataloging pedophilia material or raping young girls and they get nothing? I find that hard to rectify. Last point, Justin Theory shared this today. Now, again, same point as the whole thing we've been doing. In no way am I arguing this represents every black person. In fact, I quite frankly agree with what Puzzle Factory says here, that this seems to be an agenda to get these... They're, they're promoting and putting front and center the worst of the worst in every category. The trans community, the black community, the white community, they're, they're highlighting all of these people and they want, they're keeping us divided and making sure that we think that it's worse than it's ever been when I argue people are aware more than they've ever been. But as it says, while Biden, uh, let's do this real quick. While Biden was at a black college today, giving a speech about how white supremacy is the worst thing in America, here's a Twitter space where black people give us their true thoughts. Now, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's fair at all. This is the kind of thing where people show a black kid beating up a white kid and go, everything's out of control. It's like, come on, it's one fight for crying out loud. And maybe there, I do think there's a lot of craziness in schools today, but it's, it's irresponsible to just broadly argue that this is what every black person thinks. That's just actually in, actually stupid and maybe a little racist. But either way, he has every right to say it. Every right. Because maybe he's right. I don't know. I disagree. I, I, I can see a lot of other conversations taking place that absolutely don't represent this. But listen for yourself and just realize the same point I made with the trans community and everything else. 
It does not represent every black person in the black community. Frankly, I don't even think it represents the majority, but it does exist. And it is being allowed and leaned into. And plenty of people in these communities aren't even pushing back on it. Sort of like we see in every other thing where some people may not agree with it, but they're like, well, I don't want to take the, the heat from that. So it continues and the government leans into it and allows these kind of things. But just to show you what I was saying before, this is uh, in Rich 12 says, let's make a deal, dude. We won't judge all Republicans by what happened. Actually, I'll read this afterward. So read, the point what he's making down here is that I agree. This seems like an agenda to keep all of us thinking all of us are against each other when it's not even the majority. But here's what they actually said, because this is pretty messed up and it's still on Twitter right now. Apparently, it only applies in certain racial categories. So I guess Twitter is racist. First of all, Libs and TikTok, let me tell you something. If you're in here, or y'all go run back and tell them, y'all ain't got to tell them, tell them that nobody else said shit but me. I'm. He's addressing Libs of TikTok like they're trolling this and watching. Maybe they are. but So he's making it clear. I mean what I'm about to say. Right? That's what he's saying. I mean what I'm about to say right now. And then says it repeatedly going to say, listen, you ain't got to chop shit up. I am for the white genocide. I am for the total erasure of the white race. I, You don't have to chop this up. Yes, I am for all of you white bitches dying like flies. I am for it. I am for it. I support it. I am for putting all you white possums in a gas chamber and letting that motherfucker ring, bitch. I am for it. So you- I mean, think about that being something you laugh at, first of all. But think about the idea of saying putting all white possums in a gas chamber and that completely fine just it's still up on twitter it's been reported i'm sure by a bunch of people i just just by watching the comments and and clearly right but but yay can say love everybody but the context of what we perceive him meaning is different so he gets censored and deleted it's a huge deal but this is completely acceptable thanks thanks elon for fighting for free speech because clearly that's what we got right right usher in the world economic forum control yeah it's all good because elon we trust right like, I don't even think most people in, in general believe that. I think we're overtaken with a false perception of what's really going on. And this is part of it. But regardless, I do think this does exist. Whether this guy himself is an agent pushing this to influence people, there are some people that kind of either tacitly allow this or go along with it. Because that's the whole point. This is what I was saying with the January 6th and MAGA conversation. I just think what happened was people on the right, were they just didn't take the bait. Likewise, I don't see it happening in the black community either, but they're sure as hell trying, and some of them are. Don't think I'm saying it's not there, because it is on all of this. I can equally point out Republicans that are rabidly talking about all gay people and all trans are demons, they shouldn't exist, and that's happening. I recently pointed out on a show, but as I said, the same way I'm saying now, it doesn't represent all Republicans. It's amazing that this is the hardest conversation to have for some people. Basic objectivity and balance. Now, I shouldn't say balance, nuance, because balance is kind of in a, the way that they pretend everything's balanced and no, nothing's actually balanced. It just means, in a sense, being objective about it. So let's continue so you can hear this in full display. Support it. I am for putting all you white possums in a gas chamber and letting that motherfucker ring, bitch. I am for it. So you don't have to chop shit up. I'm for it, and I'm going to stand ten toes down behind it, bitch. Simple as that. So you got to chop shit up. You ain't got to screw the shit. Bitch, I said it, and I stand on it. Simple. So the point there, it just as he explicitly makes clear, this was not an accident. It's not subjectively cut up. It wasn't edited. This is exactly what I think. Repeated, 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 repeated. How do you misunderstand that? And I really want you to ask yourself, May 13th, now, and again, 
obviously I'm not calling for censorship. As I would support anything else, that disgusting human being you just heard has a right to say that. But interestingly, Twitter argues otherwise, but still leaves this there. I mean, that is quite literally a direct violation of their terms of service. It doesn't matter, though. Can you ask yourself why? Well, this person says, let's make a deal. Why We won't judge all Republicans by what happened on Insurrection Day. So obviously this is a left person saying that Republicans are bad. If you stop judging all black and brown people by a few bad apples, would that work? Or does that not fit into a racist philosophy? So see, the point is disingenuous. Right, so the, basically this person saying, well, I'm going to keep doing that because you're keeping doing that. So you're both dumb. <laughs> you're both childish and you're both stupid. But this person, I shouldn't even say that, but his person, thank God, comes in with some actual logic and objectivity and says, wouldn't it be fair to say the same thing about white people? The vast majority are not racist, just like the vast majority of blacks are not either. The people saying otherwise are trying to start something, don't you think? Thank you, man. Thank God there's some people out there that can actually, and, and my opinion is I think most people are at least to some degree on this page they're just afraid to engage in the toxic conversation that we're seeing on every social media platform i I understand it too because it's rough so just think about all this and think about the obvious nature in which this is being pushed forward right we are being set up right now we are being set up they're trying to create a situation where we are divided and they're trying to frame one side of the conversation as everything they want it to be while really clumping in everybody they think is not on their side to that side of the argument. I mean, think about how dumb it is to suddenly call people like Matt Taibbi, a right-wing conspiracy theorist, because he worked on Twitter and I think clearly got played, it seems to me. Either way, he's an obvious left-leaning person. Like, it just shows you exactly my point. Anybody, I mean, how in the, are you going to call somebody like um, uh, Barry Weiss? Like the most obvious line towing Democrat I've seen in my life. She's an Assad toady and all that dumb stuff. And then she just breaks off because independent. We forget about that. The point is she's probably one of these insider, not really independent people, in my opinion, but that she's not a right wing conspiracy theorist. And yet here we are. That's what they're calling. Why? Because she dared to do the thing. So here we are proving that it's not really about left and right. It's about anybody that goes afoul of the agenda. And that's what they're trying to do right now. Don't take the bait. Now, in the conversation of COVID-19, I really hope we can see how obviously this is about putting us in a position of insecurity. Now, the biosecurity state is a huge part of this. And the nanotechnology direction and all that's happening is, I think, what, pretty much the agenda at this point. That's where my mind seems to be focused on. That doesn't mean it's the only thing. There's plenty of multifaceted. There's a lot of multifaceted things going on. But... The idea of cementing in this future, possibly that it's already happened and they're trying to rationalize and justify it in our minds, that's what I'm worried about the most. Think about how this overlaps with all this, right? The idea of the MAGA trap and all these different conversations are also about controlling the future, right? Controlling our ability to speak about these things, our ability to have opinions about these things, our ability to even be able to broadcast these things. All of that ties together. So here we are at the... NIH, COVID-19 part of the conversation. And it's interesting to me that after all we just saw, the weird pivot and all the conversations about the cancer injections and so on, despite that being one of the earliest focuses, apparently now, Dr. Monica Bertagnoli, probably mispronounced that, who has recently led the National Cancer Institute, just is about is being picked to replace Fauci. 
which of course we should not ignore the fact that that person should not be able to slither away without being accountable for everything that he's done. But that's probably what's going to happen in this broken society we live in right now. But I think it's very interesting. One, this is happening, but two, that it comes from this, the cancer side of things. At the exact same moment, as Ben Swan points out, that Pfizer seems to invest $43 billion into cancer. Now, all I'm saying with all of that is on a public discussion, cancer is not the focus, right? They're not all standing up going, cancer is the next thing we're going to push into. Now, there are some conversations like that, but it's not the big public focus. But yet somehow, simultaneously behind the scenes, you got the two biggest players both simultaneously shifting to cancer. Why? And why would you not know that? Because I think there's always more coordination to what happens. And I argue, I don't think it has, matters whether people are truly getting cancer or they're being given cancer or whether we're truly fighting some virus or, you know, see my point? There's more coordination than we realize. When they stand up and say they're, the next big threat's going to be a coronavirus and it happens, I mean, maybe they know what they're talking about or maybe there's more going on. In this case, they're not even doing that. I bet you, I, I bet you we are going to hear this very soon. There's going to be some new thing when she steps into the position and stands up and goes, cancer is the next thing we're going to take down. Everyone who doesn't want to hear this is going to argue that's just because that was the direct. That's not what they're saying right now. So remember, I said this. Remember, we talked about this when the next thing they do is push the big cancer focus. Even though they just basically caused cancer on half the country about what happened in East Palestine or what's always been happening with all their dioxin spreading or with all the injections they're giving people that are causing turbo cancers. Oh, what do you know? We're going to maximize our profit from both ends. The biggest MA deal in the pharmaceutical industry since 2019 is underway. Pfizer is set to acquire Seeger for $229 a share, roughly $43 billion, so they can be a leader in oncology. Why? Just like selling Narcan after giving people opioid addictions. I mean, it's not hard to miss. Well, in general, though, we know there's two sides to this illusion. Well, obviously they've been pushing these injections to get to for a multitude of different conversations we could have, but COVID-19 was not dangerous. No less than less than the flu. If it was even actually there, that's according to the top level research right now, peer reviewed science direct at a pre vaccination level 0.3 and 0 0.07, 0.03, 0.07. From the full spectrum, that is beneath the flu, right? So what we know, oops, is that it wasn't dangerous like they swore up and down it was. They lied to us using Imperial College of London and the lies they always spin. And the other side of it, they gave people the wrong treatment. Or I would argue most likely did it on purpose, but that'd be my opinion. Here's Kevin Bass pointing out a new paper you can read for yourself, suggest that a large number, oh, I shall open this so you guys can go through it, a large number of COVID deaths may have been caused by mechanical ventilators and other hospital complications, not COVID. Now, we already recently read you this study. We went through this, not the entire study, but we read you the, the results. The point being, unsuccessful treatment of this problem was associated with greater mortality. So it was the treatment that hurt these people. Now, of course, what they're trying to argue is that, well, it was it was actually the, the pneumonia that killed them because it was the wrong. But the, it included their improper treatment. But it says would, would the, this would explain the exceptionally high covid mortality in Italy and New York City. Now, this is getting reported a lot right now. 
This says many deaths attributed to COVID-19 were actually caused by secondary pneumonia associated with intubations. Now, the way you could read that is either that the pneumonia killed them or that the intubations they gave under the wrong pre under the, uh, the wrong assumptions caused them to get secondary pneumonia and caused them to die. However way you want to look at this, both are being argued, and the data be, seems to be very clearly that, as you can see, the unsuccessful treatment is what led to the mortality, not the pneumonia, because of the treatment. It's very clear that they did the wrong thing, and this is what brings back up to mind Dr. Seidel. Like, well, my point about this is this new thing, breaking news, and we're acting like this. I mean, it's a good study, and it's important from April, but we've known this, guys. This is from Time Magazine. Why ventilators may not be working as well for COVID patients. New York emergency physician Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel sparked controversy when he did his video telling you that this was not the right thing. Now, they, of course, kind of leave out the main point he was making. Not just that we were doing the wrong treatment, but this isn't even the right thing we're treating. I think this is very important to rehash. I have a clip of this in this that, that video I play all the time. That's my edited one. But let's watch what he actually said. I think this is really important to where we are right now to understand that not only has their treatment been what was hurting people. We talked about this with the ventilators, the nursing homes in New York and why that was the a third or more of the entire number that like Dr. Re Denny Rancourt points out, PhD, that this is most likely a complete illusion using flu and pneumonia, using PCR test, using this. So here's what he was saying all the way back in uh, this was 2021. Or excuse me, 2022 or 2020. Right in the beginning of this, he came out and said, does COVID-19 really cause this? And really, is this even actually what we're dealing with? This is Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel, ER and critical care doctor from New York City. Nine days ago, I opened an intensive care unit to care for the sickest COVID positive patients in this city. In these nine days, I have seen things I have never seen before. In treating these patients, I have witnessed medical phenomenon that just don't make sense in the context of treating a disease that is supposed to be a viral pneumonia. Nine days ago, I presumed I was opening an intensive care unit to treat patients with a virus causing a pneumonia that was ravaging lungs across the world, starting out as something mild, a cough, a sore throat, and progressively increasing in severity until ultimately ending in something called acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. This is the paradigm that every hospital in the country is working under. This is the disease, ARDS, that every hospital is preparing to treat. And this is the disease, ARDS, for which in the next two to six weeks, 100,000 Americans might be put on a ventilator. And yet, everything I've seen in the last nine days all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. Now you've seen that in that clip I played many times, right? But it's, that's, the, that's one of the most important parts. We're operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. That's not we're doing the wrong treatment, guys. That means we're we are diagnosing this incorrectly and then killing them with the treatment because it's not the right thing. It's amazing this got ignored. In fact, this he got attacked for speaking out, even though he was doing the right thing. And he was right. Because, again, we're having a study right now come out to confirm at least part of what he was saying. In short, I believe we are treating the wrong disease, and I fear that this misguided treatment will lead to a tremendous amount of harm to a great number of people in a very short time. And guess what? Sadly, 
he was right. Think about how disgusting it is that people like this or Dr. Jensen or any of these people that have spoken up so early and said quite literally exactly what happened. And yet right now, how much you want to bet he can't even get a job if he has one still? Or that didn't make sense, but that he's probably being, he's been ostracized. He's been attacked. He was in the beginning anyway. The fact that he's probably still called a conspiracy theorist. The very least, he's not regarded as being correct, despite being correct. As New York City appears to be about 10 days ahead of the country, I feel compelled to get this information out. COVID-19 lung disease, as far as I can see, is not a pneumonia and should not be treated as one. That's a big deal. Okay, so now we're looking at the study, right, that literally says, no, 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 it was pneumonia. So you know how I take this study? I take this as a study that, whether intentionally or not, is being used to cover up that this wasn't even pneumonia. So they're taking a step back. Remember when I told you earlier they were going to decouple these things? And and even with flu and pneumonia, which they did, they decoupled them and they changed the numbers. Because remember, in the, before COVID, they were getting called out for, for conflating flu and pneumonia. When something like 95% of all the numbers were actually pneumonia, but they called it all flu. Even the HHS and the WHO, I've showed you many times, come out and say, that doesn't make sense. You're lying to people. And they just fire people and move forward. How it works. Well, we're at the same point with this. It's not, if it, if it was pneumonia, the only way you would, the, 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 the point is in the beginning that either proves that they were calling pneumonia COVID, which is a large, that's a fair argument to make. And maybe that's the whole point. But why then is he arguing, like medically speaking, that what they were doing was not even appropriate for pneumonia? Think about that. I think this is the bigger point. This is something else entirely, if there at all. Well, I mean, what's interesting is you can't say not at all because something seems to be happening. And if he doesn't think it's pneumonia or we're not talking about a virus, then what are we talking about here? Well, that's what opens this door for me into where we've been talking about this. Maybe this is why we see something so different. Because we're dealing with something different. Virus-sized transistors? Nanotechnology? I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers. But it seems very clear to me that, one, at the very least, we're clearly seeing that the narrative from the beginning was false. We can't even pretend that's the case anymore. Then secondarily, they're now coming back into things. We were saying this right in the beginning, weren't we? Look at 1918, mostly pneumonia. That's what they argued. And don't forget, the mask, which is not a part of that conversation, as much as people try to make it that, which, by the way, I do, though, think it is part of the cause. But Fauci never argued that was the whole point. But don't forget that masks, yes, without a doubt, can cause pneumonia. So that was also part of it. So you could easily see how this might have been an illusion. But then why was Dr. Seidel saying this wasn't pneumonia? And why was he saying, because arguably pneumonia could, in some ways, be treated with this. Right? That's the whole point. But what's happening is they used this to treat it, and it was the wrong thing. It was the ventilator that hurt their lungs. And he conflates that with the idea of something like an altitude sickness. Now, how does that make sense? Rather, it appears as if some kind of viral, it appears as some kind of viral-induced disease, most resembling high-altitude sickness. It is as if tens of thousands of my fellow New Yorkers are on a plane at 30,000 feet, and the cabin pressure is slowly being let out. Now, think about how that would make sense. Now, we've talked about the overlap there with like a 5G conversation, right? The idea of the oxygen. Now, that's a fair point to make. I haven't seen much continued forward on that. I myself haven't got, you know, I feel like I fleshed that out for the most part. But there's an obvious overlap there. The symptom side of the symptoms that you would see with that are exactly what we see with this COVID-19 conversation. That's a fair point to make. There's a lot there. And I think it's very clear this has been kind of a suppressed conversation. 
But that aside, just for sake of conversation, you know, what if it's something else? Because that's a that's something we should be asking, whether or not there's an overlap with this or if not just in general 5G. Just even saying that will get these things immediately centered on, on YouTube, which they already are anyway. But what if it's something else? What else would cause something like that? Well, there's a lot of things we could talk about with nanotechnology. And again, this is just me leaning in that direction because that's where my mind is going. So there's a form of confirmation bias there. But it's interesting to think about how that very really, a very in a very real sense, could be something that's causing that. Maybe by design, maybe by accident. I think it's very interesting, all these overlaps. right? Even the mask discussion, we've talked about the, the hypoxia, hypercapnia. You know, it's very interesting. But here he is treating people in 2020. Before the whole push and all that, I think I think this speaks to the fact that we don't really understand what we're dealing with. Patients are slowly being starved of oxygen. I have seen patients dependent on oxygen take off their oxygen and quickly progress through a state of anxiety and emotional distress and eventually get blue in the face. And while they look like patients absolutely on the brink of death, they do not look like patients dying of pneumonia. I have never been a mountain climber, and I do not know the conditions at base camp below the highest peaks in the world, uh, but I suspect that the patients I'm seeing in front of me uh, look most like as if a person was dropped off on the top of Mount Everest without time to acclimate. Uh, I don't know the final answer of this disease, but I'm quite sure that a ventilator is not it. Uh, that is not to say that we don't need ventilators. We absolutely need them. Uh, they are the only way at this time that we are able to give a little more oxygen to patients who need it. Uh, but when we treat people with ARDS, uh, we typically use ventilators uh, to treat what's called respiratory failure. Uh, that is, uh, we use the ventilator to do the work that the patient's muscles can no longer do because they're too tired to do it. These patients' muscles work fine. I fear that we are. I fear that if we are using a false paradigm to treat a new disease. Uh, that the method that we program the ventilator, one based on a notion of respiratory failure as opposed to oxygen failure, that this method, and there are a great many number of methods we can use with the ventilator, but this method being widely adopted at this very moment in every hospital in the country, which aims to increase pressure on the lungs in order to open them up, is actually doing more harm than good. Right there, right? And he's very clear. Not only is he clear there, he's right. And he's been proven right. They were killing people with this stuff. Now, maybe not by maybe not intentionally at the hospital level. It's hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around that, but it's certainly possible. But at some level, especially if these, if we're talking bioweapon or understanding how this works, then it's hard not to see this as being a choice. Especially when you align this with things that happen in nursing homes, with the Madazalam conversation, with the Remdesivir conversation. It seems like every single thing that was done, as I've been saying the entire time, was designed to maximize the problem. How do we misunderstand that? Either it's the most incompetent effort of in history, which I just don't believe, or this was about creating this illusion and using this under the guise of the right thing that even doctors wouldn't realize, except if you're smart enough to do what he's doing or see it, wouldn't push back on. Because that's what the CDC says. That's what the higher-ups say. So you put them on a ventilator, two days later they die. How many times have we heard that? Because that's what he's talking about. You're, you're putting it in there to add, you're, you're increasing the pressure. When it's not about the muscles not working, as he said, you're exploding their lungs. I mean, this is hard to understand, to, to, to see and listen to. Think about not listening to this doctor. Instead, shouting him down and saying you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, which is what's happened, even though he's right. And that the pressure we are providing 
that we are providing to lungs, we may be providing to lungs that cannot stand it, that cannot take it, Which and that the ARDS that we are seeing, that the whole world is seeing, may be nothing more than lung injury caused by the ventilator. Now, I don't that. know the final answer to this disease. Uh, I do sense that we will have to use ventilators. Uh, we will have to use a great many number of ventilators, and we need a great many number of ventilators. But I sense that we can use them in a much safer way, uh, in a much safer method. Uh, that safer method challenges long-held dogmatic beliefs within the medical community and among lung specialists, which will not be easy to overcome. Which didn't happen, by the way. Right? So despite all this, didn't happen. So they went on from that point forward, as far as I can tell, to right now, still doing the same thing. That's, I mean, that, that is just almost impossible to wrap your mind around, that they would continue to do that. They would continue to do the thing that they keep seeing. Like, this is what we keep saying about the average person. Like, even if you didn't know this was happening, and every single time you did this, you saw that happen. You continued, just like he did, you just, you have brain cells. You can recognize that it's not, do, it's hurting them. And the time frame is the same every time. And yet, they just kept doing it. And then, of course, the people that spoke up got fired. The people that pushed back got, got you know, attacked, ridiculed. Then they pushed out all the people that had any integrity who didn't want to take the injection. And then what you're left with, you're left with all of the followers, all of the people that aren't smart enough to see it or see it and don't care. That's what they did everywhere. I've been saying this in every conversation. The people that push back get removed and what you're left with, whether on the media or anywhere else, are the so-called experts that are either too stupid to see that they're wrong or don't care. And anybody who's an actual expert that does see it is, rel is you know, relegated as a, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist, so we're not going to call you an expert. Very, very sad. Now, this is why I want you to consider the conversation. Just consider this and do the research. And I have more points I'm going to bring up today that I think are really important to the overlap to this. But I've discussed this, I think, three times since this, but this is the first one, the Charles Lieber connection from nanotechnology to COVID-19 to technocracy. And the conversation about the research of Charles Lieber, the leading scientist in the world still of nanotechnology, working on what became the very, the, the, the foundational thing that made these vaccinations possible. The injection, the mRNA, the lipid nanoparticle success, and also the work that is overlapping with Elon Musk and his brain machine interface. His work is the impetus for all of that. And yet it's much bigger than how it's being used today. And I believe it is potentially a Trojan horse for something that's happening today. Just my thoughts. But you could read through this for yourself and find out the point. But I think it's interesting that we have both this research that is tied to the idea of implantable biosensing, relaying information, tracking, surveillance, all of that being used for the injections. And we're not talking about that today. I'm not implying that I know that it's involved, that maybe may not be, but that it's now being driven forward past that. And we're not even paying attention half the time. But then that overlaps with Char uh, uh, Robert Langer, who is the co-founder of Moderna. And that's where I'm going to get into a point here today about that specifically. But before we get to that, I wanted to show you a couple things about the dangers of these and the lies we've been told. Right, so Kevin Bass also points out, remember how, and we talked about this when Burks essentially admitted this, and yet, again, seemingly admission of criminal activity, nothing changed, nothing happened. Two, remember when two weeks to flatten the curve turned into months of lockdowns or years? Deborah Burks, Trump's advisor, knew Americans wouldn't accept long-term lockdowns. 
she lied and used two weeks to flatten the curve to deceive America. Or rather, I see it's I think it's unfair to just late to dump this around her neck because I, I highly doubt she was making any real decisions. And I think it's because it's a, she's the scapegoat. The point, though, is that she did admit that they knew this wasn't going to be two weeks, that they knew that we were being lied to. And it says, no sooner we had convinced the Trump administration to implement our version of a two-week shutdown than I was trying to figure out how to extend it. Fifteen days to slow the spread was a start, but I knew it would be just that. I didn't have the numbers in front of me yet to make the case for extending it longer, but I had two weeks to get them. That is how government works. They give you what they want you to, what you want to hear, and they wait until they can push it. That, that's how it works every single time. Oh, we're just going to push in really quickly to Iraq to do this and we're out. And then we're there for the rest of our life. Oh, Afghanistan, just real quick to try. Oh, 20 years later. That's how it works, guys. They know it when they go in. The plan is the tr- is what they're doing. The lie is what they do to get it done. And again, I don't think it's just Burks. I think she was just the vehicle. But the point is that they knew. You could argue Trump didn't know, but I find that pretty naive. Now, just again, to point this out again, a, a quick point on this in general. Here's the the Ionidas group from 2022. And this is about the one I just showed you, the, 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 the fact that this is less dangerous than the flu. Now, what it still says here, which I find interesting, this article is a preprint that has not been peer reviewed. It's usually what they do and they're supposed to is include the link to the peer review. The red part went away, but they still left this here. And I find that very strange. And when I search for this by name, it very weirdly doesn't pop up in pretty much every search engine. But here's all the examples, just in case you want to see it. Peer-reviewed. 2023, PubMed, 2023 on uh, NCBI, and then, of course, Science Direct. I just think it's very strange how the it's almost like this peer-review process is being weaponized. Crazy, right? In any case, this is peer-reviewed. The age-stratified infection fatality rate of COVID-19 in the non-elderly population, same point, at a global level, before vaccinations were given, infection fatality rate may have been as low as 0.03 under 59, 0.07 under 69. And one point that I rarely point out, which I think is wildly important, he points out in the abstract, 94% of the global population is younger than 70. 86% is younger than 60. That means that 86% had a risk lower than 0.03. 94% had a risk lower than 0.07. And you forced this on them and gave them a risk of one in 800 serious adverse events. That is from their own data. 36% higher risk of, of serious adverse event than the placebo in the Pfizer shot. That is their own phase three data. BMJ says it's a net harm. You to give these out to argue some benefit, you will hurt more people than you don't. Than you don't. But here we are pretending that we're all conspiracy theorists somehow. When almost all the peer-reviewed science now backs up the conspiracy theorists, isn't that funny how that worked out? And they're still screaming we're conspiracy theorists. Well, they're still arguing this long COVID. That's the, that's the best they got right now. So we have all the evidence that shows it's not even dangerous. But they're going, but 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 it'll last forever even though all of these people have injections in their body and you can't even prove that long COVID exists. That's what they're doing. COVID may present many different challenges. And all this stuff is completely undefined, as I've proven to you already. They're still trying to suss out, just like SIDS and SADS, what long COVID even is. But the main point is, in medical school, we didn't even have long COVID, obviously, because it didn't exist, because it's not a real thing. The idea of anything having lasting residual effects is possible, 
flu, anything else. But the idea that it is 12 months down the line that you have some sniffles and a cough and a headache and all this stuff and it's just long COVID forever. What's happening is your body's been destroyed by injections that destroy your immune system. And you are blaming that on on COVID, despite the fact that we can prove that this doesn't even represent the same. I mean, it's the evidence is undeniable. And yet again, I'll just include this. As I make it really making fun of yet another ridiculous argument, long COVID risk may increase with low levels of vitamin D. <laughs> oh, you don't say. Well, what I had to add is, well, this is twofold ridiculous. Well, first, long COVID was found by numerous peer-reviewed studies to be largely psychosomatic, if it exists at all. Second, anyone recently suggesting vitamin D should be used to fight COVID was labeled a conspiracy theorist. But now they're going below eight, but you have low levels. That's called this long COVID. It's just, it's insulting to your intelligence to pretend like they aren't smart enough to know that you can't argue that both ways. I mean, what? I mean, this is just insultingly stupid. Yeah, because vitamin D strengthens your immune system, which helps you fight any problem in your immune. It's just stupid that they ever push back on that. But here's the main thing I want to point out on this too. Well, here, and I'll include both these so you can check out for yourself. Both these studies, both find psychosomatic that's mo- that same point ultimately that it suggests that persistent symptoms are associated more with the belief in having been infected than actually being infected as well as this one saying something slightly different but ultimately that the persistent symptoms and disability that characterize long covid are associated with factors other than long than SARS-CoV-2 including psychological factors psychosomatic the point this is 2023 this is 2021 both of them saying that it's mostly in your head if somebody freaked out about this, calling me a complete POS and misdeceiver and blah, blah, blah online because I made this point. Because I guess they're assuming, one, that I'm not pointing out the injections. They think I'm hiding injection side effects by saying COVID, long COVID doesn't exist. Now, I'm not sure we can prove that long COVID is side effects of vaccines. I think it's obvious that's the case, but proof matters, doesn't it? So first, there's one assumption, but I do agree with that. But the point's interesting. By saying that long COVID doesn't exist, are you assuming out there that means I don't think it's being used for lo- for side effects for vaccines? I've been saying that repeatedly. But if long COVID is simply so- vaccine side effects being called long COVID, then guess what? That means long COVID doesn't exist. Same point. All I'm getting at is that there's far too many people assuming, even, even arguably on the same side. So we're both over here saying, Vaccine side effects are being covered up, but because they somehow misinterpret what they think I'm trying to say, they go on a three-tweet tirade about how I'm a, mece- a deceiver and I'm misinforming people. And then when I explain that I think that, then they go, whoa, this is what? You, they're not even going, oh, my bad, I misinterpreted. I just, we all see this, and it's damn near everywhere. And it's even people that aren't doing it disingenuously. It's because everything under the sun is training us to assume into everything we see right now. And it's painful. The point is that long COVID, based on the peer-reviewed science, first of all, seems to be, are, they are arguing that it seems to be psychosomatic. Does that mean I believe that by face value? No. It's one thing to consider. Trust the scientific method, not science. You don't trust what science studies say. You question it. But we are having the top-of-level peer-reviewed science seemingly suggest that it's psychosomatic. Now, yeah, that could be done in a way to cover up the side effects that are actually the vaccine. Certainly possible. My point in showing that is simply to show their science that we're supposed to trust challenges what they're saying. That's interesting. But overall, it can be both. There can be people that are, misconst- that are misinterpreting what they're dealing with and laming it long COVID, which means long COVID is not real, but also actually clearly the people are being hurt by the injections. Far too many people assuming out there. But I think this is important.
because yes, they are very clearly calling that. And that's been my major point the entire time. They're calling vaccine side effects long COVID. In fact, even I think Jimmy Dore made a point about how the doctor told him that, that they're very clearly naming it that when you can tell that's the exact same symptoms that the injections give you. But nobody wants to talk about that. Well, as Dr. Uh, excuse me, as Thomas Massey points out, you still can't find the FDA approved versions of this vaccine in the United States, even though FDA granted approval to a version almost a year ago. Now, I've made this point many times. You can't. You won't. The point is, you won't find community. And I just called and made two different calls. I called Walgreens and I think it was CVS. And both of them told me, no, we won't have that. We don't have that. We've only ever had Pfizer. Most of them didn't even know what community was. I mean, think about how baffling. That's These are the pharmacists. And apparently I know more about what they're... I mean, that's crazy. Spike vaccine and community are brand names for existing code vaccines, which are widely available, says PolitiFact. They're lying to you guys. Either this... This Monique Corette doesn't know that and is blindly. So she does her fact check. And what's the first thing she does? Hey, CDC, what do you say? Oh, fact check done. Apparently, because it's very easy to prove that not only have those never been given out, but it's likely they haven't even been made in the United States, at the very least. Well, the point is that those things have not. I mean, that's the entire reason why they pulled back the mandate in the military, because Thomas Massey leading that proved that they were giving it to them under the guise that it was the approved version. And they pulled it back. I mean, it's on the table. Yet here's stupid PolitiFact garbage telling you that you're wrong, as they have been the whole time. Well, here's the point, though. If they aren't giving you those, as he's asking, why is that? And what does that mean? I think there's an obvious, and this is the, I'm still building on the same ultimate point here, guys. There's something very fishy going on about the way that they conducted this, about Omicron being inserted from Botswana, but all these different points that seem like this is a large experiment. And ultimately, what's happening here is some kind of execution of what they want to achieve. These are all just my opinions. I've made clear every time, but they're, they're rooted around the facts that we can prove. I'm just inserting what I think might be happening where the open gap is. Everything else is factually verified here, guys. Now, let me show you what's happening because of these. Now, this is another one of the reasons why I think it's hard. You know, it, we people want to ignore the bigger picture about what might be happening. Right. So if the injection is a bioweapon, I mean, in and of itself, that suggests that there's some kind of viral component. Right. So it's interesting. Like we, we can't, you know, I, it's just interesting how much people will try to force this into one thing that they view. Like, that's why it's important that we do all the time to keep an open mind, be objective and argue from within their narrative and so on. Doesn't mean we blindly buy everything they're saying, but to not even engage with the conversation about whether this is a virus would be kind of ignorant. Whether or not I agree with that. It's the same thing in reverse as if I were to talk about this in the beginning and completely ignore everything from the terrain conversation, which I didn't do. I interviewed Kaufman three different times and I talked about it because I'm interested. It's the same thing in reverse. Now, even if I believed it was only train theory, I would still engage in the virus conversation just like I did in reverse when it started. I mean, it's, it's that simple to show how aggressive and weird a lot of that community is right now about shouting anybody down who even wants to ask these questions. As if anybody thinking otherwise is somehow compromised. I mean, it's just possible that we have a different opinion of the same information, right? Right. I mean, it's just so it's it's weird. And that's happening in all these big po political conversations right now. And usually that tells me that there is something there. 
that there most likely is something in here we don't know about. And that's why we had this very weird push from the very beginning or the, you know, I, I don't want to get all mired in this, you know, venom and different conversations about people going, this is what's in there. 99% this. And I don't think that's true. I think we prove that's not true. But at the same time, I think that was designed to hide a real thing that is actually probably going on. That's how this game works. Anyway, the point is to see this, it shows you there's something very clearly going on here. Maternal deaths from cardiac causes have been reclassified as COVID deaths. How long have we been talking about this? And it's not just specifically maternal or just cardiac deaths. They have reclassified anything in certain categories, like, for instance, the 14 to 21 day period. At the pop up, let's see. Yep, perfect. This video has got over a million views on Rumble. Deception taking place in the 14 to 21 day period. Over 80% of all cases, hospitalizations and deaths after jab occur in that time period, yet they all get labeled as unvaccinated. That's a huge example of how this game is being played. But she points out one example of this, that specifically, the one they're hiding from the most right now, maternal deaths, neonatal deaths, from cardiac causes are being reclassified. Why? Well, because we know that cardiac causes... COVID causes cardiac. Well, do we know that? I disagree with that. In fact, I think we've even proven. I, God, I, I always forget to want to. I always don't forget to grab this one. Hold on one second. Let me see if I can grab this. There's a study that I used to pull up a lot. I think it's it right there. Perfect. I didn't think it popped up. Yep. Here we go. Beautiful. This is important. Now, as I've I've stood by this, this is the leading scientific study I think on this topic. And other experts have said the same thing, not just because of the findings, but because of the conduct, the way the study was conducted. And then the findings in 2022 are very clear. That it says post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. They did not observe increased incidence of either one of them in adult patients recovering from COVID-19. <clears throat> Doesn't that matter? <laughs> Apparently not. But well, the point, though, is that they want to pretend that it's only COVID that causes that, even though they've admitted that the injection has causes it to some degree, even though that's rampant and they're hiding, it's, they're reversing it, but they're calling it all COVID. And it was evident from 2020, and this year's data confirms it. And you can look at the data for yourself. And the point is, you can get into this. We've been making this argument the entire time because it's very clear. Sonia Elijah points out both the recent reports from trial site news and Jones health defense confirm that the regulators were all aware of the devastating side effects for the unborn and breastfeeding babies. How long have we been screaming about the pregnant conversation yet? They choose to remain silent and continue to advocate for its use right this moment. And despite, as I keep showing you, They don't know if that's safe. They keep screaming that, but their current documentation, by the way, the FDA one is now gone, which I don't even know what that means. Unless they'll see if they brought it back up. Nope, just gone, just deleted. Entire FDA page about the safety of the injection, just deleted. Does that make sense? And this is the new, the new COVID age of transparency, right? The point is that they don't know. The safety profile is not fully known. Safety pro, there is no data available. That's the accurate, that's bivalent included then how can you possibly say that it's safe, which they're doing? Well, you've seen me make this point many times. She's proving that they know it's not safe. You can read either one. We've interviewed Sonia as well. Now, here is Igor's uh, substack. He says, COVID, on top of all that, COVID was not dangerous to unvaccinated pregnant women. Why does he make that argument? Well, let's look at the stats. This is from May 11th. 
He's pointing out, remember all the endless hysterics about COVID being dangerous to unvaccinated? Well, first of all, let's not forget that for everybody, no matter your age or, or personal situation, that it was less than the flu. That's a fact based on the peer reviewed science leading the conversation. But they came out and they said this severe risk to anybody who's unvaccinated, pregnant, especially, and so on. Well, a recent report from the UK data, which is what we keep pointing out, their own data has been exposing themselves the entire time, throws doubt on the statements. It covers 2018 to 2020. The year of 2020 was the, the, the part of the COVID pandemic where there was no injections, right? In 2020, before vaccines, only nine women died from or with COVID-19 during pregnancy. Here's their own document. Nine women. I mean, how do you make sense of that other than to realize that they knew right out of the gate this wasn't dangerous? And this does go into, you can read this through for yourself. It says, remember in that, in, that in 2020, all pregnant women in the UK were unvaccinated. COVID was at its worst in 2020, so we're told, and even based on stats. COVID was quite rampant in the UK at the time. According to the World in Health data, in the, the UK had 94,194 COVID deaths in 2020. However, only nine of those deaths out of those involved were pregnant women. Now, I don't think any of those, by and large, were actually what we were told. But the reality is that regardless, this is what we talk about arguing from within their narrative, is that using their argument, you can prove that based on their own data, that it wasn't dangerous to pregnant women. There you go. Their own reports, their own, the ONS reports that England and Wales had over 600,000 live births in 2020. So pregnant women COVID deaths were less than one in 10,000 over COVID deaths. Overall, COVID deaths. Pregnant women's deaths, nine total, were less than one in 68,000 births. In other words, for every pregnant woman who died of COVID in 2020, over 68,000 did not die. The bottom line, and as he says down here, that every death is sad and we should care about all. The point is, though, they're lying to you. Even their own data, which, by the way, that's probably manipulated for all we know, because why would they be honest? Either way, again, it could all be, the whole thing could be a theater show for all we know. But either way, what they're putting forward contradicts what they're currently arguing. That's the only point to take away from it. Not that we should trust any of it. What does that mean? I just find it ridiculous. Now, you should look up NIH gate. There's a lot of people pointing this out. It looks like Jurassic Carl was doing a lot of work on this. Here's the link you can check out. He said it's so damning that 490 pages and FOIA documents haven't even been released. People should be dragged in front of war criminal tribunals for this. And here's this general point on this. It says, too long didn't read. The paper was published in October showing how the mRNA vaccines could massively impact ovarian and breast cancer risk. Hey, look at that. They're getting involved in cancer. What do you know? Two scientists linked to the NIH and pharma conspired to remove it from publication, putting a generation of women at risk. And there's a, there's a little clip I'm going to play for you right now. Before we do that, Steve Kirch also chimed in and said Jicky Leaks, who we've been following as well, is right on. He checked with the NIH, the editor, and the journal, and nobody would even comment on how 490 pages of discussions about the retraction of a very important paper were illegally redacted. He said this is very corrupt. No doubt about it. The retraction itself also did not comply with, with COPE guidelines. All emails to the ethics department of the publisher went unanswered. Nobody wants to talk about it for some reason. I think we all know why. This is how corrupt it is. It's on the surface, guys. It either comes down to acknowledging that they're like literal mafiosos at this point, openly corrupt, knowingly corrupt, and they're and they're just lying about it. Or I, I mean, I don't even know where I was going to go with that. Actually, the, the bottom line, 
is that it's that transparent that these people are lying to us, that they are not what they ever were. If I if I add to that, I don't think they've ever been on our side, but we're now blatantly seeing through it, that they are knowingly hiding information and pushing us into things they know will hurt us. Now, this is the, the NIH gate clip. It says you can't run from things you've done. Now, check this out, and we'll finish off with some conversation about nanotechnology, because I think that's where this is going. And if they can get this pushed in, and come in with some solution for cancer, you know, who knows that or if it's already happened for that matter. I've talked about self-spreading vaccines and these conversations like I'm genuinely concerned that something long even before COVID-19 is, might, might have been used. I don't know why I would be so resistant to thinking about that. But let's watch this and just give you now something about this seems to be a clip. It makes me think there's a clip for like a documentary coming out or something like that. You tell me what you think. But it seems to be shared from these from Broken Truth and the rest of them as sort of just a, a statement about that they should be held accountable. But either way, I like the clip. The cost of freedom can be high. Sometimes it's too high. Why are we as a people worth saving? We still commit murder because of greed, spite, jealousy. And we still visit all of our sins upon our children. We're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. We refuse to accept the responsibility for anything that we've done. We are offering legislation that will abolish the personal belief exemption that currently allows children who have not received the required vaccinations needed to protect the public health to enroll into our schools. We decided to play God, create life. One of the things we're exploring is like, why don't we just mutate ourselves? When that life turned against us, we comforted ourselves in the knowledge that it really wasn't our fault. Not really. You cannot play God, then wash your hands the things that you've created. How can you do this? How can you look into the eyes of a pregnant woman and tell her that this experimental product is safe? Sooner or later, the day comes when you can't hide from the things that you've done anymore. Uh, miscarriage has increased by 300%, almost 300% increase in cancer. Neurological issues which would affect our pilots, over a 1,000% increase. 71% of new cases are in the fully vaxxed and 60% of hospitalizations are in the fully vaxxed. The National Institutes of Health have 180 at least open cases on fraud, grant fraud. Also the FBI, they say, working on a thousand cases related to China and grant fraud, possibly uh, with China targeting these researchers. According to the regulations, people who receive royalties are not required to divulge them even on their financial statement according to the Bayh-Dole Act. Our soldiers are being experimented on, injured, and sometimes possibly killed. This is corruption at the highest level. It, it's not a time to say I'm sorry. It's a time to put these bastards in jail. An attack against our home is underway. How? Why? Doesn't really matter now. What does matter is that as of this moment, we are at war.
unrestricted warfare. Like, doesn't that seem like it's going to be like a, maybe it will be, maybe it will be a movie or documentary. Either way, I think it's a great clip. It really does encapsulate almost, almost all the things we're talking about today. Right, the the domestic terror war concept that overlaps with the idea that mothers were pushing back against school boards. Remember all that, right? I mean, there's this obvious overlap to all of this. And the interesting part about it is that we can prove this stuff. Everything we're talking about in there, right? I mean, even just to go back to this, where we're like you know we got the Project Veritas conversation. We've got all these different points, all the different rising information, and this was interesting too, right? I mean, you get the overlap regulations. But the concept of, of the Ch- Chinese Thousand Talents program, the idea of people like Charles Lieber, the idea of, of Fauci going, we don't have to divulge this stuff. Very interesting. Like, I'm, I'm hoping this is some kind of developing documentary or something. But either way, either way, I think it's very, very interesting how obvious this is. Now, a couple more points on COVID-19. William Muckus points out that the excess death. Japan has skyrocketing excess deaths after its population was mRNA COVID-19 vaccine overdose, he puts it. 2023 excess deaths are going up exponentially. Japan injected 384 million doses, 78% Pfizer. How do people miss, how do people ignore something like this? Look at what it says right here. As of May 6th, 2023, the COVID-19 vaccination rate in Japan has increased to 310 doses per every 100 people. I mean, that doesn't I get necessarily mean that every single person got injected, but it's hard to see that they, they are arguably most likely. That means they've tripled, almost tripled the pop over, over tripled the population with these injections. And so that sounds like an mRNA overdose to me, especially with what we know these things can do when they're repeat use. That's why they pulled back on this stuff. Net harm. I mean, that's why we're seeing this. There is no question in my mind. And then guess what? They're probably telling all these people they have long COVID. But we know based on the evidence, the, the low risk of whatever we told was COVID, if it's even there at all, the high risk of the injections, the high risk of serious adverse events, the high risk of problems in general, the myocarditis, the dysregulation of the immune system, everything under the sun that we've seen these things associated with. I'm not even going to get into all the side cases we've seen of all sorts of horrible things, skin problems and cancers. Just the basic high risk things are enough bottom line. And here we are some people anyway, pretending this isn't even happening. Claire Craig points out, Dr. Claire Craig, I have calculated, I showed you these yesterday, the total excess mortality for the preceding each year, week from 2020. 2023 might in fact now overtake 2020, 2021, and 2022 at week 19, if the trend continues. <laughs> I mean, God, God. And we're, we're baffled, right? We're so baffled, right? We just, uh, Brits are dying in tens of thousands and we don't really have any idea why. May 11th, 2023. The only people that don't have any idea why are people that can't tie their own shoes and people that don't care. That's what I keep telling you. The writers, the government, the experts, they have weeded this out to people that are too dumb to know otherwise or people that don't care or people that are involved in the agenda, however way you want to look at it. Like, that's kind of the second option. I just think this is unbelievable. She also points out that people vaccinated in the last six months have the same hospitalization rate as those on jab for a year. And when you go over 40, it becomes twice as high. That is just basic, obvious reality from their own data showing you you're at more risk if you are injected. But let's keep running from it. But here's public Scotland going the opposite direction. 
COVID vaccines have been through the same safety checks as any other vaccine. Yeah, they actually said that. Getting each dose that is offered to you helps to protect you against serious illness from the virus. It's weird how these these extra spaces here makes you wonder if they're using like AI to type these out. Maybe that's why it's so stupid. The COVID-19 spring booster is safe and effective. Safe and effective, safe and effective. They just got to keep screaming that legally, even though it's wrong. But here's Rebecca Barnett saying, and this is, uh, let's see, just a writer saying, this is an outright lie. No carcinogen, no carcinogenicity studies, no medium to long-term safety data rolled out in mass before trials even finished. And then tags Jakey Lee. She's like, shake my head. Like, think about, this is how dumb this is. I mean, you you literally can't, even from the government narrative, you can't argue that. Now, some of them are stupid enough to say it. Some of the politicians, but from like the government level, they're not even arguing that. They just argue that it was unprecedented and the re- that we studied for 20 years and that's why it was done quickly. Well, that doesn't even make sense. You don't increase safety speed based on research time. That doesn't make sense. You still take three, two years for safety trials. That's how it works. The point is they just didn't care. They didn't do that. And now we went from what well, I think Jessica Rose was talking about this. You went from a rapid Operation Warp Speed escalation to months down to eight mice and, and, and just a couple of days down to nothing. You realize they're still pu- they're just pushing on to the next thing and they're just acting like we don't need anything else because that was always the plan. But you're right. Outright lie. Public Health of Scotland, you know, the same group that actively ignored the neonatal deaths because they just didn't want to look at it. That was actually what they said. We're not going to look because it would create vaccine hesitancy. That was one of their arguments. The other was that, well, we looked into it in the early 2020. Yeah, and it's now being proven that you're wrong. And on top of that, even if you looked in earlier, the only correlative factor here factor here is the is the injection alongside the neonatal deaths and nobody's talking about it. They've, pro- they've actually proven it wasn't COVID. And yet they said, we're not even going to look. That sounds like desperation to me. Well, in China, they're doing the same thing. How much you want to bet once this gets mass distributed, China's first homegrown mRNA vaccine, that we're going to see an explosion of problems. Now, we're already seeing it. The spike protein and everything else that's being done in these injections is, is dangerous. But the idea of how this mRNA version specifically works I think it's exponentially worse. That's why Pfizer and Moderna are the worst, hands down, as much as they're desperately and and have been the entire time trying to blame it on Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. I actually think that was the plan, my opinion. But either way, it's happening. Now, here's a study from 2022. A spike trimmer protein-based tetravalent COVID-19 vaccine elicits enhanced breadth of neutralization, blah, blah, blah. It says in this study, we developed a tetravalent COVID-19 vaccine, SCTVOV01E, based on the trimeric, tri- trimeric, tri- trimeric spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 variants, alpha, beta, delta, omicron, BA1, with a uh, squalene-based oil, with a shark oil-based oil in oil in water adjuvant, SCTVA02B. So you're combining all of these different things like that's supposed to be safe? The bivalent is quite literally dangerous, more so than the original. And that's what the science has found. But now you're going to do more than that. The SCT one here is currently being studied in head-to-head immunogenicity comparison trials for Invactivated and mRNA. Can you guess which one they're going to use? Here's Michael Krieger pointed out another 
clip that we're going to play really quickly, and then we're going to finish with the... Sorry, I, I thought I was into the down of technology. We're going to finish this next. This one is just kind of remembering... And I love how they start this with the clip of the Joker, right? When when those all those sane, whatever, what do you use, sane people or or whatever the term he used out there, the people out there, the normies. When he does what he does, they're going to eat each other alive, and that's exactly what we saw. The people like this, whether whether they're part of the agenda or not. Frankly, I don't think so. I think these people are just cowards and they were desperately following along with the narrative one because they were scared and two because that's what they're paid to do. Either way, they came out and aggressively attacked anybody that didn't do what they were told, which is always what we were telling you was going to happen. Conspiracy theorists yet again. Down these uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. You are the unvaccinated. You are the problem. It is the unvaccinated who are the problem, period, end of story. The only people that you can blame, the only people you can blame, this isn't shaming, this is the truth. Maybe they should be shamed, but the unvaccinated. God, what a clown that guy is, seriously. I mean, all of them, really. But, you know, just just his smug hubris that was completely unjustified. Uh, you know, and, and the way that they would do like that's you are taking a line that you're somehow morally superior because of it. I mean, that's just disgusting. But that's what they were all led to believe. And that because that's because they're mindless followers. It's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. Anyone you came into contact with will blame you, as will the rest of us who have done the right thing by getting vaccinated. Because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated. I think it's time to get our moral house in order, Anderson. It's the unvaccinated who are the threat. All those vaccinated folks are going to start wearing masks to protect the unvaccinated folks. It's called a Christian value. You're basically wow. punishing the vaccinated uh, for the the sins of the unvaccinated. People are not behaving. I mean, again, I just have to say real quickly that how dumb it is to the idea that we're talking about saying that they that they got the injection that they swore would be successful and safe and effective and that it won't work if that guy in the corner doesn't also do it. I mean, how did that ever sell to anybody who had any brain cells? It's just, it's laughable. Honorably, the unvaccinated are basically saying, well, it's open season for me. I can do whatever I want as well. The, the unvaccinated are basically beating their breasts and running around the country saying, ha, ah, we don't care. We're living free and so forth. You've been patient, <laughs> but our patience is wearing thin. The unvaccinated, a group that includes children and people acting like children. <laughs> and the rest of us are starting to get pissed off. The vaccinated feel the unvaccinated are making me upset or angry. This is not about uh, freedom or personal choice. Well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. The other day, Howard Stern weighed in with a much different approach. Take a look. <laughs> when are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say, you now, it's mandatory to get vaccinated, their freedom but you're treading on our freedom and you're making other people sick and really you're killing other people the anti-vaxxers they seem to have a thing for death and home remedies the anti-maskers uh -huh. turned anti-vaxxers are not just putting their own lives at risk if that was the issue we could just say that 
We can watch them compete to win places show in the Darwin Awards. We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research. And don't get me started on the lunatics who won't take any of the COVID vaccines. Life is too short to be an ass. Life is way too short to be ignorant of the promise of something that is helping people worldwide. Maybe you're doing it because um, you're, you're disconnected or disorganized. Maybe you have some sympathetic psychological reasons. But maybe you're just being antisocial. Oh, you can't shame them. You can't call them stupid. You can't call them silly. Yes, they are. Those who are not vaccinated will end up paying the price. The unvaccinated should be taxed. Uh, they should pay more for health care. We need to start looking at the choice to remain unvaccinated the same as we look at driving while intoxicated. We're going to see, and I've said, almost mm-hmm. two types of America. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. And that choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. Odd that he says vaccinated person getting a heart attack. I don't think he meant that the way it was supposed to be that we took it, but that's the truth. Pointing back to the unvaccinated who are really creating a problem in this country. Every death that we are seeing from COVID could have been prevented. Literally, the only people dying are the unvaccinated. And for those of you spreading misinformation, shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know how some of you sleep at night. Man, I mean, just think about the level of misinformation, disinformation in that. Like, what's even more disgusting is all these people. My point is most of them are just stupid, like they're just don't care or too willfully ignorant to even look. And they're the ones all high minded on their high horses, shouting down at everybody about being a bad person. Like they believed that and it made them feel good about themselves to tell you you were disgusting. In some cases, I'm not speaking for everybody, but you can see that a lot of them stood there and acted like they were better than you and they were wrong. And of course, you now should be the bigger person and not do the same thing. That does not mean accountability. I want to see every single one of these people accountable for the choices they made. But doing like what they're doing in reverse is not the answer. That's what they want from you. They want us to drive this into the direction of vitriol and hate and negativity. Be a bigger person than that. Right. Be the be the loving, compassionate person that wants to see them in prison, right? I mean, there's a big difference there. Understand what I'm saying. Because ultimately, people that are in positions of power who made choices that drove them, then they should be held accountable to the level of prison. But somebody like this, who is pushing this misinformation, should still be accountable. Now, I don't know how that plays out, even even from like a criminal's perspective, that they have the right to free speech too. But they should, in my opinion, should be acknowledged for what they are. Bad people. Right. People that are willing to push something on. Even if they were right, what they did was wrong. Think about that. Even if what they did was the right thing and we were all hurting people by not being vaccinated, the way that they went through this was disgusting. And it showed you who they really were. That's what I was saying before about, you know, your neighbor. Right. The conversation of of amnesty and all those dumb arguments, that's that is between you and the individuals in your life. When it comes to authority, well, we can all chime in on how we think they should be held accountable. But when it comes to your neighbor, they really want you to hate each other. And my point is, that's for you to decide. Nobody should, you shouldn't have a public conversation about how you want to handle it with individual relationships. But from my perspective, well, it's, it's, you know, whether we're talking from a Christian thing or just a general being a good person for you, for your life, it's healthy to forgive people. But I don't forget things like that. 
If we were the best friends in the world and somebody acted like that to me and told me that I couldn't see their family anymore, or we couldn't hang out unless I did that, I would never be a friend with that person anymore. I would never forget who they really were behind all the narrative. But I would still say, you know what? You were confused. I get it. Whatever. If they apologized. Because that's just who we are. Be a bigger person. Be a better person. You know, all the people out there, like the Tates of the world, trying to tell you that it's the right, you know, a being a man is about not reading because you only read other people's things and you should be. It's like, I just, there's so many, there's so many people out there that are pushing people in the wrong direction. And I am convinced that it's an agenda. Anyway, back to the point. This is what, who they were. Now, on the, the last conversation I want to have here, and we did, we're quite long today, but that's good. I know I told you it was going to be long, is the conversation about where this goes, the overlap. And there's not a huge thing to get into, but the overlap of the nanotechnology information, but then the ending point about E-Verify and what that's being used to do and how this is all means to an end. Now, we, all, we just recently talked about the conversation of the clip, and I'll play it real quickly, of, of the guy talking about Moderna and saying that they never had anything tangible. It was always just a computer screen, which I pointed out every time, proves that they never needed it to be, which argues, why would it be now? Why would it even have to exist? It's a very real question. And then I'll show you this, but let's play the clip first. Entering this, this golden era where, uh, you know, biology is going through its own digital transformation. We have more and more tools that digitize aspects of biology. So... Uh, at Illumina, for example, we make the machines that do genomic sequencing. So you put in blood or saliva or plant material, and we'll tell you uh, the DNA or the RNA in that sample. And there are a whole set of use cases uh, after you digitize you know, the, the data. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one was during COVID. So we were called into China in the fall of 2020, late 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, to help them diagnose what was then a flu of unknown origin. And so we did the first sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. That was published on January 10th. And around the world, what happened was uh, a couple of companies, so Moderna in Cambridge and, and BioNTech in, in Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, what's interesting is that Moderna, for example, has never had the live virus on their site. Well, and to that point, Pfizer did the same thing. BioNTech, in this case, Pfizer and BioNTech, they, did, they, uh, they began the production of the original injection based on a computer screen. Right, so Trump's Operation Warp Speed took at face value a computer screen genetic code from the group they were simultaneously screaming to the world was lying to everybody. They didn't let us know and they lied to everybody, but we're going to blindly take their genetic sequence because that all makes sense, right? It was all a software problem from that. I remember talking to Stefan and he was saying, look, we're basing our entire vaccine program on that data you published. It better be good data because that's it. That's all we're using. Now, why would you take that chance? Like, why would you ever in a million years just assume that he was right and make an injection that would be injected into people's bodies with liability, with immunity from liability? Why would that possibly make sense to anybody? Well, the last part kind of makes it makes that like they don't care, but I, that, maybe that's the case. But overall, it just shows you there's something else going on. You wouldn't base, one, if you're pretending we're all in danger, the survival of the human species, or two, your profit on an assumption of somebody else's work. Come on. I mean, it's just stupid. And, uh, and you can get a sense that Moderna is one of, arguably, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, one of the more important companies in biology right now. And yet it's all a software problem for them. And so that's a use case of once you digitize biology, you can solve profound biological problems. Another it's a good example, thing you got it right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, then we dig digitize biology. Well, that's what they're doing. Right. I mean, that's that's what this is about. 
the work they're doing is about, you know, creating it's the it's the convergence of digital and biological existence. That's what Klaus is talking about. That's what Lieber's work is about. That's what brain machine interface is about. All of this. We're taking genetic therapies that right now in uh, what's the word that they transcribe through your DNA. That's what mod RNA actually does. In fact, that's what this is. Mod RNA. Different point. I've gotten different shows, but it's not mRNA. It's not messenger RNA. It is modified RNA. Mod RNA. That's what it says in their own documentation. But we're all lied to about it like everything else. But don't forget here, after this clip, realize I've shown you here, Moderna began on the record January 11th, 2020. Far too much being repackaged today as new information. Oh, and this was, oh, sorry, this was just a response to Stu Peters pretending this was new information. And I said, the bigger item being buried by this is how a genetic, genetic sequence was gladly accepted by Operation Warp Speed prior to even a public claim of isolation. And the point on this is just to simply continue to show you that they, and he said, 10th on January 11th, they took this sequence and on January 13th, it already made mRNA1273. This is Moderna's own page that's now deleted from the way back, it's on the way back machine. This page right here. So thinking about that in the context of how they never needed it, they never had it, or at least you could argue that they did at some point. I just don't believe that. I think it's been argued. They haven't ever coached coach postulates, the whole conversation we've gotten into before. So going forward, considering what might be happening, right? The idea of what actually was used. Now here's Bob Langer, Robert Langer, as Whitney called the, coronavirus common denominator and we talked about his direct ties to charles lieber as the co-founder of moderna so keeping that in mind and you can watch this if you want whitney and i can do a lot of stuff in this and about new york smart cities and everything as well i wanted to read this article the straight times the straits times for singapore february 4th 2023 or excuse me it was changed in some unnoticeable way that we can't verify on february 4th but it's published January 29th because that's new journalism for you. Just random changes to articles without any re, uh, anything other than updated stamp. Cool. That's not how it's supposed to work. But anyway, Singapore. His groundbreaking drug delivery method was initially scoffed at by the scientific community. We're talking about Robert Langer, the common denominator of the COVID injection, co-founder of Moderna. His groundbreaking drug delivery method. We've already talked about Charles Lieber and the overlap there and the same work. This is the same technology. But his relentless experimentation eventually laid the bedrock for cancer treatment. That's interesting. And led to the founding of COVID-19 vaccine giant Moderna. Now, I just want to overlap this very clearly with some points that I've made and showing you the combination of the work of the connection between Charles Lieber and the injections going in people's bodies right now. And then from there, what's happening next that he's still involved with. Pert just recently put out a study from 2023 about the next step, right? The internal biosurveillance. But it says, but... This is Char- uh, Langer speaking, I, but eventually I was able to make tiny little nanoparticles which could deliver molecules of any size, including nucleic acids and mRNA. Well, you'd be forgiven for thinking that was a new discussion. He innovated a way to encase drug molecules within an ultra small particle, which could attach to the tumor and release the drug over time via diffusion. He published that in 1976. That's interesting. It's weird how we're acting like we only just heard about. Well, this has been going on a long time. And I guess that they executed this agenda and we're now told it's new. Either way, same with everything we talk about. Either way, the point is the time release drug. That's what we just talked about with his recent studies. Langer talking about this stuff before COVID and then during and then after. 
Why wouldn't we ask if something's in this that's meant to time release? I think it's an interesting point, seeing as how it's the exact same lipid nanoparticle mRNA encapsulated conversation. And it seems like mRNA is quite literally that kind of a concept, except using, you know, genetic instructions to produce proteins. But what if there's more involved? I just don't know why we can't ask these questions or why people are afraid to. It says, when I first presented this work, it was ridiculed. And one thing I want to show throughout this is it seems that his entire career, the entire medical community has been like, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. That's not going to work until he just pushed it forward and did it. And we're supposed to, did it work? I mean, it failed. Every coronavirus vaccine before this, we keep telling everybody that for 20 years, Moderna, who was cre- which was created by him, never had a product until COVID-19. So they failed and failed and failed and somehow kept getting billions of dollars. They failed and failed and failed. And everybody was going, that's not going to make sense. You're not going to do it. That doesn't make sense. You're, that's wrong. Or I'm not going to invest in that. You should get another job. And then just magically it all works. And he's, and did it though? Look at what's happening right now. I put forward the possibility that this might not even be like the entire concept. Maybe we lied about, but it says, we don't believe anything you just said. <laughs> these are people, these are his, his peers telling him this. Scientists dismissed his work. This is like going on the story, going over his career. Further, he meets with another person from MIT, and he was later advised to leave by his colleagues when they found out about his unusual field of research. So what's going on here? Are we literally living through some kind of like, you know, like we know the overlap, the paper Operation Paperclip, the kind of Nazi research, the kind of research Dr. Ishii in Japan that just got folded into the U.S. biosecurity program, or rather just the, at that time, genetics and you know all the stuff they're working on the kind of disgusting bio research they were doing well it seems like that never stopped and i think that's just a simple extension of this kind of eugenics directed kind of research now he speaks to somebody else later in the line he says you better start looking for another job over and over these people told him this everybody he talked to but he persisted anyway and his work slowly gained traction in the scientific community He then tried to file a patent for his drug delivery idea. Five years in a row, the patent examiner rejected his idea. This is the the year that finally secured a patent in 1983. So realize for five years before 1983, he was already trying to patent the stuff that they're currently using in the injections in your body. Or at least the idea. But it secured a patent to the sixth time, apparently, in 1983. He went on then to file 1,200 patents licensed to more than 300 pharmaceutical, biotechnology, chemical, and medical device companies. He also became the most cited engineer in history with more than 380,000 citations from a myriad research papers he authored and co-authored. He then co-founded Moderna in 2010. Now, let's make a quick point on the timing here. So apparently, all of this time, 1983, first patent, even before that, 76, the idea. 83 forward, finally gets a patent, and then it explodes with patents and pharmaceutical companies and different kinds of things. 2010, he founds Moderna. Realize they had still not succeeded, at least in the context of like a real-world product. Then from Moderna forward, from 2010 to 2020, they failed over and over at trying to do this. Over and over. Quote, once I was able to deliver large molecules over long times, I thought this might be a great way to deliver vaccines. Hey, hey, let's try to make a vaccine out of it. Quote, I published my first paper on this in the Journal of Immunological Methods in 1979. 
So the vaccine apparently was the earliest. I mean, this is clearly where this was meant to go. I feel something different in this. But it was not until I helped start Moderna that I contributed to the industrial development of novel vaccines. Right, so 2010. Moderna made mRNA-based medicines using Professor Langer's drug delivery method, which eventually became the foundation for the development of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccines. Right, so they failed over and over and over, trying the same thing. Every coronavirus vaccine, you know the stories. And yet somehow they kept getting more and more and more funding. And then suddenly COVID-19 happened, we're told, and then they saved, they, it saved Moderna. That's the story. They finally succeeded. It was, it's a, here, it's an American dream story. Is it? Did it work? Or are we watching it destroy the population? Was it a vaccine or was it something else? Quote, Moderna has changed the world and the medical field. And I believe it will continue to do so. You know, despite clearly being a net harm, despite the work they're doing actually hurting more people than saving, if saving or helping anybody at all. But yeah, clearly it was a it changed the world because they're doing it anyway. What does that tell you? It either tells you that we have a society that is completely incapable of actually discerning the reality of the of the data on the table, or those in control and power never intended to do anything we were told, and that it did change the world and the medical field because it was the way they wanted it to, and we're being tested on. I know, call me a conspiracy theorist, many do. But the reality is quite obvious that we are being lied to, so I'm simply putting forward a possibility of what it seems this could connect to. But we need to understand that this didn't change the world and the medical field other than negatively. It's hurting people right now. That is not up for debate. So this is why I want you to think about things like this. Oh, whoops, this was not the one. Here. Anisha points this out to me, which this just kind of blew my mind because I didn't even know this was a thing, and apparently this is not new. I'm not going to go too deep on it because it's pretty pretty late tonight, but the idea of the internet, or the, yeah, the internet of nano things. Internet of nano things and wireless body area networks, or WBAN. This is a real thing, like a real concept of what they're pushing this forward on. And how this is, I mean, this is from, where's the date on this again? This is from 2019, guys, right before this. All right, so right before COVID-19, all, they were all talking about the, the insertable, implantable nanotechnology bots in your body and how that could create an internet of nano things synced and meshed together throughout the world. Now, doesn't that sound like kind of what I was worried about in the beginning with Whitney, where I talked about maybe, just maybe, just theorizing, this was about meshing people's human minds in order to reach the singularity. Well, look at that. Isn't that exactly what I was talking about? Isn't that quite, I mean, it, literally, the exact topic that I, I wasn't even aware of. Maybe, I, you know, I'm concerned this has already been executed. They're already trying to accomplish this. The Internet of Nano Things, March 3rd, 2023. Making people's lives easier. Isn't that always the way they sell it to you? The Internet of, of Things... IoT is one such technology that revolutionizes almost every aspect of our lives. As of now, the IoT is served in almost every domain, as we mentioned above, allowing the connectivity of digital objects around us to the internet, thus allowing remote monitoring, control, execution of actions based on underlying conditions, making such objects smarter. That's the, that's the world we're currently living in. Over time, the Internet of Things has progressively evolved and paved the way towards the Internet of Nano Things. 
which is the use of nano-sized miniature IoT devices. All right, so going back to what I just said, that was miniature devices that promote control, execution of actions, underlying conditions. The Internet of Nano Things is a relatively new technology that has lately begun to establish a name for itself, and many are not aware of it, even in academia or research. Now, how does that possibly make sense? If this has been going on for a long time, like th- look at this study. This study's from 2023. So j- even just this broad paper is from 2019, but I'll get into this and you can see this goes back a decade. So how does that make sense? How is it possible this can be the leading, as they're saying, establishing a name for itself, like, like leading all the technology, but yet weirdly barely even aware in academia research? What's left? Government. Military. Exactly. DARPA. That's like all these things we're talking about. Charles Lieber Research. The use of the IoT always comes at a cost, it says, owing to the connectivity to the Internet and the inherently vulnerable nature of IoT, wherein it paves a way for hackers to compromise security. This is also applicable to the Internet of Nano Things, which is the advanced and miniature version of IoT and brings disastrous consequences if such security and privacy violations were to occur, as no one can notice such issues pertaining to the Internet of Nano Things due to their miniaturized nature and novelty in the field. Exactly. So for all we know, it's already happening. The lack of research in the Internet of Nano Things domain has motivated us to synthesize this research, highlighting architectural elements of the Internet of Nano Things ecosystem and security and privacy challenges pertaining to it. In this regard, in this study, we provide a comprehensive overview. Security ecosystem pertaining to the reference of future research. Now, a few points I want to point out. As of right now, it says the Internet of Nano Things is well past its adolescence and is prepared to take the globe by storm. Well, okay, explain how that's even possible if academia and research are barely even aware of it. Same point. Because this is being driven by something that's far beyond genuine and engaged research. This is about an agenda. That's my opinion, obviously. On the other hand, the Internet of Nano things it says is a relatively new technology that has recently begun to make a splash. So apparently it's past adolescence, ready to take the world by storm, but academia and researchers don't even know about it, and it's relatively new. <laughs> that all adds up. In simpler terms, the Internet of Nano Things refers to the interconnection of nano-sized devices with already existing networks. It consists of networks interconnected nanoscale devices such as nanorobots, nanosensors, and nanomachines that can communicate and exchange data with each other and larger systems. This is exactly what Lieber and Robert were working on. Further, in a typical smart city in place, the Internet of Nano Things solutions are responsible for monitoring concentrations of toxic gases or particulates. Devices will be planted at various locations throughout the city to monitor pollution levels. You know, for your health and safety, guys. Accordingly, it is evident that the Internet of Nano Things is being highly incorporated into most applications involved with our lives, like phones, household appliances, vehicles, large-scale infrastructure. Did you know that? The important fact is that not many have noticed that they are using Internet of Nano Things applications owing to their miniaturized nature. So it's happening without you knowing. You know what that reminds me of? You know. Uh, moral, compulsory moral bioenhancement. It's the same point, whether it's in the phone in your hand and the things you're using or already in your body. Their point is simple. If they have decided this is the right thing for society, well, then it ought to be compulsory. 
because that would better align with what they think is medical ethics, to force you to do this without you knowing because you're too stupid to understand. That's what it is. That bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. That its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. Same deal. These devices have their control and monitoring procedures digitized and connected to the internet, which raises many security and privacy issues and is becoming a huge risk as of now. Apparently, but nobody knows that. <laughs> as monitored previously, owing to their miniature nature, miniaturized nature, many may have not noticed these security privacy violations if they've even occurred. Think about that. It may lead to damage, theft, manipulation. It says, therefore, new security and privacy techniques are required to protect sensitive data. The whole point of this ultimately seems to be like, there's lots of risks, so let's create, you know, the constitution for the, like, they'll keep doing. Give the government the the justification to create the control structure to force you into this under the guise that it's happening with anyway. So we might as well do it right. That's how they always do this. One of the many security risks is the potential for hackers to gain access to transmitted disease devices, medical data, financial information. But the one point I want to get to, and then I'll leave the rest for later. Right here. Let's see. It was, yeah. So right here, for example, I'll read this one. It envisioned as being composed of nanoscale networks and of physical items that are able to exchange information with each other. And it says, for example, nano devices could be with the medical implants or wearable technology to monitor the person's health. It could be used to monitor air, water, providing real-time level of pollutants. Infrastructure can be deployed with nano devices, sensors, tracking, and this is what we're talking about. Right? It has spawned numerous new domains, including Internet of Bio Nano Things. Think about that. Bio nano thing. We're talking about implantable nanotechnology in your body. Nanobots, what they're literally talking about, which can be aid the development of integration of technologies in health and healthcare and so on. I'm trying to skim through it. There was one part I want to make, you know, it's basically what you just read. There's one part where we'll see it right here is interesting too, where it talks about communication technology and Bluetooth and RFID, but it talks about nanowires and nanotubes. That's exactly what Lieber and the rest of them are working on with Langer, the same thing. Nanomachines are deployed. Here it is right here. Nanomachines are deployed inside the human body and remotely controlled at the macro scale over the internet by relevant experts, such as medical staff or healthcare service providers. That sounds great. Medical nano devices can be deployed inside human body or external environment and can be used as wearable garments. Like the point is, if this is happening and the argument they just made is that, you know, well, we, we, you, might, you wouldn't even know what's happening. And here's the argument where they would do it. They should do it without you knowing. My question is still the same point. Or my point's still the same. How do we know it's not already happening? They just said in here that it is and we don't even know because it's so small. Well, you guys can read this for yourself. This is broadening out. This is November 2022. Internet of nano things driven intelligent face masks. Yep. Face masks have been used as the most effective tool. No, they haven't. <laughs> not, even under, not even remotely correct. But it says the use of modern age face masks is restricted for specific purposes. And it says enormous efforts have been made to dedicate this. Where was it? I'm trying to rush. The bottom line is exactly what it sounds like. They're talking about internet nanotechnology driven intelligent face masks that can act on your behalf. It's not a joke. 2014, how NASA Cisco and a tricked out planetary skin could make the world a safer place. 2014, which by the way is a similar time frame of the year they were breaking some of that new research in regard to the mesh implantables. In any case, those are all about biosurveillance. 
here we are at the same time, Internet of Things, nanotechnology-wise, using NASA, Cisco, massive infrastructure to put this, to, to actually try to justify this. Developed a vision for a global network of sensors that would analyze virtually everything happening on the planet. The planetary skin. Wireless sensors. Now, they maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it did. The website's down. Can't see it, but Wayback Machine, you can find it. I'll include some information. You can look at it. Cisco. Oh, weird. Imperial College of London. That's weird, right? Or not. Global agriculture monitoring for enhanced food security. Like, the same points they were always at. We just talked about SENSE, which stands for the Central Nervous System of the Earth, or there's another term that was used as well as that, but this was what the general term by Hewlett-Packard was. The Central Nervous System for the Earth. It was the same thing. It was about using monitors and sensors around the world to monitor everything. They joined the race to build infrastructure of the emerging Internet of Things. Sense. Central nervous system of the Earth. Well, here's a clip of them talking about dimming the sun. The idea of the kind of research they're working on, using the kind of nanotechnology we're talking about, God only knows what this has already done and what it's, what it's going to do. Why we would allow somebody like Bill Gates to be involved with something like dimming the sun, like we don't, like even if you think it's the right thing, can that not go out of control? Can you not make a mistake? You know, like like trying to increase the food supply, but accidentally or on purpose diminishing that food supply with GMOs or giving yourself a genetically modified injection to save the planet, but actually killing a lot of people. But yeah, let's let them control the sun because that makes sense, right? is solar geoengineering. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory, Bob. It doesn't exist. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're pretending like that's we're not on Twitter. Okay, so it's the thing we've known has been going on for 20 years. But let's let's pretend like we don't call that conspiracy theory. Geoengineering is fake news. It's cloud seeding, right? This new thing called cloud seeding. Okay, I'm done. What exactly is solar geoengineering? A set of proposed technologies to rapidly cool the Earth um, by reflecting sunlight um, back into space. The idea is based on the cooling effect of volcanic eruptions. When Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines erupted in 1991, it spewed 20 million tons of sulfur dioxide into the sky. That reflected so much sunlight, global temperatures dropped by an entire degree the following year. And this is under the ridiculous illusion that that's what's necessary, that that's what we're causing, like, you know, global warming, oh, except global cooling or whatever. The bottom line that this is not actually what's going on based on lots of scientific research going back longer than just the part you need to make the, the graph look the way you want it to. Right. The reality is this is bad. The idea of what this did was damaging to ecosystems, to environment. But, you know, we lowered it by a degree. So that's acceptable because we're all going to die tomorrow. Like that's the kind of rationale we're seeing from people. So one notion is that we could mimic those volcanic eruptions by sending specially equipped airplanes into the stratosphere to do exactly the same thing. Ah, yeah. So so geoengineering is not a conspiracy theory. Oh, my God. Who would have thought everybody who was paying attention? And that's been going on a long time. The point is they're doing all sorts of things that we don't even know about or that they would even they, that they're telling us now it's been done for 20 years. The bottom line is the nanotechnology aspect. I find it really hard to believe it's not already out of control or already being used. And my point to end with is that all of this leads you in the same direction. Now, to take a step back, I really believe the digital ID, the social credit, all of this stuff is, is, is a very early step in this direction. 
And what Thomas Massey is pointing out is another example of how they're using the two-party paradigm to break logic. And now we have examples of people who moments ago were screaming about the risks of the Great Reset, of the surveillance state, of any number of things, are turning around and saying, we need this because immigrants. You're that easily played. He says, fact, national E-Verify assumes every American is an illegal immigrant unless their identity can be matched to a government database. He will vote against it today. Now, this person says, in case you're wondering, Massey's top campaign donor is tomato processing packing company called Morningstar, which maybe it's probably true. I don't know. Who do you think is processing and packing them? Well, I'm going to go and imagine that that's an assumption right there. Did you ask? Did you find out? I love how people love to assume into what they think is happening. Now, let's just say for sake of conversation that his entire company is run by illegal immigrants. You know, that's what they're insinuating here. Bought and paid for, which I don't even know why that would make sense. Now, I'm no defender of anybody. I pointed, I was calling out Massey the other day, but he, I think he says a lot of stuff that I agree with. Massey is defending illegal aliens and people who hire them by voting against V-Verify. Wow. Think about the kind of ridiculous leap of logic it takes, or lack of logic it takes to make that argument. Now, maybe that's what's happening, but there's a whole lot of assumption between that and here's what he's doing for sure. That's what the two-party paradigm people are the lowest brow, I think. And they're just, they're not, they, it's not that they're not smart. It's that the two-party paradigm, well, they can, sometimes, two-party paradigm, it stops people from seeing the reality because it, it's, you know, it's sort of like people that have, their paycheck is invested in a certain narrative. It's the same kind of game. They're invested in the idea of the pair that they are a Republican or we are this or that. They, their identity is wrapped up in believing in certain concepts that seem to change every 30 seconds. But the point is that Massey's defending illegal aliens by doing this? Well, how does that even make sense? There's plenty of other things that are stopping or hindering or engaging the process. This is just one new aspect. So suddenly now he's just like all four pro. Like it's just this is the kind of lowbrow two party argument that I it drives me crazy. Overall, you could argue that maybe this is an, there's an indicate a part of this behind this that is driving him to vote against it because he benefits from not having it. That's certainly possible. But can we not stand back and realize that the idea of demanding that anybody that crosses the border that applies to you too, you too, as an American that does not have your digital ID is now considered an illegal immigrant? What about the fact that that guarantees that some people just by accident will be called legal, illegal immigrants, even though they're not? So the point is not even about being accurate. It's about digital IDs or not. It's, it's, it's easy to boil down as that. And it's so frustrating that people would try to frame it otherwise. This guy says, definitely oppose it on national level, but don't care if states choose to make Americans are getting jobs over illegals. And there, again, that it all boils down to you of Americans getting jobs over illegals. Like, are you out there trying to pick fruit? I mean, think about how dumb that argument is. Like, like, are, are you seeing, you know, anyway, I'm sure there are some cases where it's not just about people that have jobs that are manual labor. I'm sure there's the occasional doctor that gets caught up in there. I personally don't usually see that, which seems to tell me that it's not fleeing for a better life, but people that are being forced out of their, their locations and so on. But either way, definitely oppose it on a national level. So why on a national level, but not on state's level? Because you've somehow been convinced that state's, are being overrun, then it's about these stealing your jobs and all of these wedge talking points. Now, there's some level of truth to these topics, especially when you know of the artificial nature of these caravans and everything they're calling them and foreign policies involved with that. And it seems to be driven to make people act like this. But at the crux of the issue, 
you're still rationalizing exactly what the Republican side of the argument was saying was the last thing we would ever want. Just like with the trans conversation. Second Amendment is absolute until the trans got pushed into it and they go, no, not them, though. Some of them. And it showed you that they were easily manipulated. He points out that E-Verify includes pilot programs for alternative verification methods. There's no doubt that they're going to collect and then require more biometric information on all Americans to get a job. Then, as more people work for cash, the government will acquire CBDCs. And this is exactly what we see coming. That's not even to say that you can't have an argue that some of this might make sense. It doesn't matter in the context of how we can see this. They've already tried to rationalize this through COVID-19. And now you're just taking the bait for immigrants because they knew it would get you. Chris says, I sympathize with your hatred of CBDC, but you have untold millions of illegal immigrants in your country. And E-Verify combined with massive fines for companies breaking the law is the only effective tool you have that would actually work. That's just simply not true. But either way, now it's more important to stop people coming to this country, even though we'll, out of the other side of their mouth, argue that it's about freedom and people coming to this country to live a better life. But then these people, not those though, we won't let them come in because realize what we're talking about here. E-Verify is people that have to go through a process, right? So if we're talking about people that are trying to get through the illegally, they're not going to be going through a process, even if that's an E-Verify process. So it's sort of like the Second Amendment argument to a degree. Right. The idea in the, in the sense that, you know, that you, you make laws against guns, it's going to affect legally abiding people, not criminals. Now, in some case, unless they've got, which is my argument here, a biometric fence and drones and face scanning, which is the whole point that will catch anybody anywhere crossing anywhere. If they don't have that, then people will still get through illegally, which is the point. They, all you're going to do is force people who go through legally to go through an e-verified digital ID system, which includes you, which is the whole damn point. And Massey seems to see that. But it says e-verify e- e- has been mandatory in Arizona for years. How's that working out? He says, I knew you wouldn't have a better idea. Yeah, that, that's the answer of somebody who just got trumped and you don't know what to say. Okay, well, if it's been in existence for Arizona and they still have a problem go <laughs> right you don't pretend like it's a catch-all answer to everything the point is that this is simply a backdoor into exactly what we've been talking about that's even if you think it's the right thing to do it's that easy to see now on regard to ai here they are basically telling you that we won't do anything you know this ai remember the same point talking about the biometrics the the, the drones and this all this is all what this is designed to drive us toward is that they're telling you And this gets into all the stuff we're building right now with the systems online. He openly discusses this at this growth summit that they don't want to do anything to regulate it until they see something hurting people. That's where their minds are at. It's more important to make this happen than to worry about you. Regulate AI until we see some meaningful harm that's actually that is actually happening now the imaginary scenarios once we see that hey there's real real meaningful harm but you we should wait until we see harm before we regulate it uh well uh, i would say yes uh because uh, uh we could not predict uh, where the kind of where the real harm would be, where the real problems would be. So I, th- I'll, I'm gonna, I'll leave it there. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. 
He's very clearly, whatever the logic is, saying, no, 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 let's wait until we see it hurt somebody and then and then do something about it. That's that's the best government, and not to say he's even government, but that's the best kind of government answer you'll ever get. Well, let's just wait and see and then, you know, and then probably do nothing anyway. But to finish off, I'll leave you with a video of social credit and where this is going. And I, I just hope people remember how obviously we're all being driven in this direction and, and remember what China is living through. Right. And this is how we have to see this. It's not good or bad. It is about governments trying to control your lives. And they're all fighting at you from a different angle. Right. People got so upset when somebody on our platform argues possibly that China and other people are, are, are working from a different angle. Right. Against the fascism. Why you would in the world people would assume that meant not tyrannical. We can literally see China's government acting openly tyrannical, if not one of the worst on the planet. And why you would think even if they were outwardly projecting some kind of anti-fascist mentality, that that would even be honest. The point is that they're all playing you. All of these governments are trying to spin what they think you want or what somebody wants to try to achieve control over your life. That's my opinion. Now, plenty of people disagree. There are people out there that argue that China and Russia are the ones trying to fight back against them. I don't buy that for a second. I think it's blatantly obvious that they're all pushing in the same direction to control of your life. They just have different flavors of control. It's just time that we stop pushing back at each other and be honest about the situation and realize that governments are the ones putting us in this position. I'm not saying I have answers to how that so how we solve that. But the first thing we need to do is recognize there's a problem. And the second thing we need to do, or maybe the first thing is, is stop fighting each other. All the people out there that are doing that, what if we have to start recognizing them as the problem, the ones that are trying to divide us from within. And maybe they don't even realize they are the problem. Maybe they think they're doing the right thing. But the bottom line is if you're fighting against someone next to you because they deviate from the narrative barely, even though we're both pointing at the government, then you're on the wrong side, buddy. You need to start realizing that people have different opinions. And yeah, sometimes that can be a surreptitious way to hide a secret agenda. But that's why we question everything. Be an adult, have show discernment, and don't blindly trust anything, and then you'll be all right. <laughs> the point is, I think we all see where this goes. And if we fight each other, we're guaranteeing this future. So thank you for being here today. I appreciate you all, as always. If you want to support this platform, there's a lot of ways to do it. Truthclothing.io, you can buy our t-shirts. I was just spe- I was just speaking with uh, Blue Frog about getting those free speech absolutist ones again. And I'll put- I'm going to be putting those out pretty shortly. I think I'll, sp- I'll talk to them tomorrow. You can donate through Cash App through Subscribestar, through Buy Me A Coffee, through the donation portal on the website, through our T-Lab Substack. There's a lot of ways to support us, guys. And I'm really going to start trying to put to just to kind of put that out there more and more. As I keep, I've been mentioning a few times there, I'm making some big moves behind the scenes right now. And I'm really trying to get some, some, some bigger funding coming our way, which I can make, I'll make a promise to you now that I will never break. That nothing, as I've said from the very beginning, will ever compromise our content or editorial choices, no matter what. But at the same time, always question that. Push back, make sure, always. I welcome that. But I will never let that happen. Over my dead body, am I going to let somebody dictate what I'm allowed to say or what the content we can put out? But at the same time, I'm trying to find somebody out there that believes in what we're doing, who has the resources to make this something real. I think we are losing momentum with every moment that we allow these independents from the media, corporate media, kind of take more, you know, they're siphoning off what we've built over the last decade. They, they came from 10 seconds ago telling us we're a bunch of conspiracy theorists in basements on YouTube means nothing to then desperately trying to take what we've built. So help me get there. I was just talking with Derek. We're just talking with Whitney. We're, we're, we're trying to build something here. And we genuinely want to do so in a way that rivals the 
infrastructure of what the corporate media has. We want to be able to have a network, to have something that can't be taken down. Now, yes, that's a long time out, but the next steps are what we've already started to do, right? We've already put a lot of the money from the fundraiser and so on to use. We have an outstanding interview coming your way from Taylor Hudak that we put a lot of resources into that's going to be outstanding. And I can't wait for you to see it. She's, she's finishing it up right now. But we want to build, we want to raise the bar. And we want to get to a point to where we can hire a team or we can have the resources to, to take this to the next level, do our own documentaries and so on. So as I said, I'm going to have more coming your way on that in general. I think I'm going to put out a video just kind of outlining our direction of where we want to go. But I think it's time. I think it's time to make a move because if we don't, and this is what Derek and I were just talking about, it feels like we are hitting a plateau, which to be honest, I would be happy doing this for the rest of my life. You guys have given me more support and more, more than I ever dreamed was possible doing this. But something in me tells me that this needs to happen now. That if we don't do this, that this will drift in the background and it'll just be one more platform that was once there. I don't want that to happen. Help me make this happen. I love, And the point is, if you know somebody out there, you know somebody who knows somebody, put this in front of them. Let them know that we're interested. Let them know that you can reach out. Thank you for being here, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. School brings benefits, but people with low scores lose rights. The cinema names and shames people considered untrustworthy, plastering their details, even their addresses across big screens. It's a matter of principle. Those people have to be condemned. Those people aren't honest, so they have to pay the price. It's only right to pay your debts. You have to blacklist those that don't. The Supreme Court has created a blacklist for so-called bad citizens, those whose ratings have dropped to zero. On it are companies, but also 23 million people to date. Among them is this journalist, Liu Hu. He got a little too close to uncovering corruption among high-profile party members. After being sued for defamation by the subject of a story he'd written, he was blacklisted. He only realized when he tried to buy a train ticket and was told he was banned from traveling. That tells me I'm still on the blacklist. Punished because he's been branded untrustworthy by the state. Once you're blacklisted, you can no longer get a bank loan, start a business, buy an apartment, or even send your children to a private school. Yu Hu is among a tiny minority of people who have dared to criticize the system, which some are calling a digital dictatorship. I worry, because I think many people like me will be deprived of individual freedoms, and all of us will live with restrictions of one kind or another. After our meeting, Yu Hu learned that his name had been removed from the blacklist, but he still has a long way to go if he doesn't want to languish at the bottom of the social credit hierarchy.